put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Why am I getting in this? Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is. If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth, and they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? Ladies and gentlemen... Dan and Aldo. Technical difficulties. That's right. And I was saying there's nobody better to recollect those years than you. And so we'll be starting with that in just a moment. And then uh, in about an hour or so, Tooch will join us. We'll continue our discussion on Lovey and talk about some movies and so forth. And then when Dan, you leave, I've invited Jordan to come in and talk about the Lovey years with Tampa Bay. He is a huge Lovey fan, so he can comment on some of the stuff we go over, but also take us through his memories of uh, the uh, the what he Jordan thinks was unfair treatment by the GM and manager and, and owner uh, of Lovey Smith over there. So a lot to cover on tonight's show. Apologize for the rough start, but we are here and ready to rock and roll. So. Let us start with uh, with Mr. Lovey Smith. Uh, the guy came to the Chicago Bears with kind of a one incredible resume. He started as a high school football coach at Sandy High School, which is his hometown. Did you know that, Dan? I knew he was from Big Sandy, Texas. <laughs> That's the way Lovey kind of talks. But uh, yeah, yeah, I knew he was from Texas. I didn't know that he was a high school coach. My first recollection of Lovey is as the D coordinator of the St. Louis Rams. Okay. So, yeah, that's where I met him and, you know, saw him at, at work. And they didn't have a great defense, but they had a great defense in terms of turnovers. And that was uh, perfect for a team with the offensive weapons that the Rams had, you know, get, get the ball back to Kurt Warner and let those guys score. And uh, he quickly moved up and to be one of the um, prized coaching candidates out there. And fuck, lo and behold, here are the Chicago Bears coming off of Dick Duran and they land Lovey Smith. What was your first reaction? Uh, my first reaction was uh, 
like, yeah, because Lovey's first press conference was, again, legendarily, he comes out and says, and I'm just paraphrasing, our first goal will be to beat the Green Bay Packers. Uh, again, politically, that would be like today, you know, uh, Trump coming out and saying our first goal is to beat the Democrats <laughs> because <laughs> the way they hate us libtards is the way I hate the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> so his first goal was to beat the Green Bay Packers. The second goal was to win, I think, the division, and then let's win the Super Bowl. Is that the way it was? Your, your uh, that's how reaction? I recall it. I was trying was. desperately to find the clip of that but was unable to, but that's exactly how I recall it. And lo and behold, uh, in the second game of the season, after losing the uh, the opener against the Detroit Lions, they beat the Green Bay Packers. Do you have any yeah. recollection of that game? Oh, absolutely. Uh, two uh, two huge things stick out. Um, the first one in the Lions game, his first ever game, it's ironic, too, that Lovey's first game would be against the Lions, and so was his last game. Mm -hmm. But uh, the opener... Uh, Paul Edinger had, and it's not like it was Paul's fault, but he had a field goal blocked that was taken back for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. That ended up being the deciding factor of the game based upon my recollection. Uh, yeah, that was the opening day of 04. Rex was starting, you know, because he had started the last three games of 03. Had high hopes. Then you lose at home to the fucking Lions, and now we go to Green Bay. But they go to Green Bay. Thomas Jones running a ball down their throat. Um Mike Brown had a big touchdown, I recall, but of course still got hurt in the game, and that was Mike's first significant injury. And if you remember, that was the proverbial slippery slope where Mike just couldn't stay healthy after that, which is so unfortunate because he was a great player. Yeah, but really the Bears was. won, I think, 21 to 10. That is correct. And I talked to Thomas Jones about this on Twitter. After the game, because, see, I was a big Anthony Thomas fan, the A-Train. Mm -hmm. So I knew who Thomas Jones was. I didn't think it was a bad signing, but I, I always had in the preseason some, I envisioned both guys playing together in the same backfield. I didn't realize at the time that A-Train like, was going to get no playing time. So I was a little disgruntled because I was like, we have an asset we're not using. And But Thomas ran over Green Bay that day, and I bought his jersey. <laughs> of <That> course. Day, <laughs> and this is true now. He had, because we had a, kick returner named Jones for two weeks in 04. I can't think. Daryl Jones maybe? Mm-hmm. And so right, Thomas's huh? jersey said T. Jones because mm -hmm. there were multiple Jones players. So I bought the T. Jones customized white replica jersey and then on Monday we cut the other Jones guy and so by the time I received the jersey it was already obsolete because guess what? In week three Thomas's jo Jones's jersey just said Jones. Mm. Now, I told Thomas Jones this on Twitter, and he said, I still have the T. Jones jersey. He says, I have that one hanging up in my house. And ironically, it was also the white one. Mm. He has it framed, his T. Jones jersey. That's like, unbelievable. Well, that's the one I have. <laughs> but it was only good for two weeks. Like I said, the other guy, the bum, got cut. I shouldn't call him a bum. But I, I never saw him before or since. I think his name was Daryl Jones. But anyway, he was the kick returner. The first two games, he got cut, and and then it was just Jones on his jersey forever. Yeah, I've got their roster opened up. This is the uh, 2004 uh, roster, so I don't see a Daryl. Oh, there he is. Good old number. Good old number 82, Daryl Jones, 25 yeah, he made years it two old. Two games. Two games indeed. 
targeted two games. As soon as I bought the Thomas Jones jersey, that was that. That guy was out the door. Yeah, funny. He was targeted for two passes, and everything else on the stat line is zero, 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 zero. And that was pretty much a good way to kind of characterize the Chicago Bears offense in their Lovey Smith's rookie year. They had probably the worst offense in football. I mean, well, that wasn't the case, though. Not to interrupt you, please. It, that was not going to be the case, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. The problem was the biggest thing was it's similar to when the Bears just a couple of years ago mm-hmm. uh, signed. Uh, What's the fucking short guy's name that had the stupid hat on all the time? It was uh, Trubisky's backup. Um, uh, um, um, Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel, yeah, yeah. So we signed Chase Daniel very similarly to Jonathan Quinn because they both knew the offense. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not a fair comparison in the sense that Chase Daniel was way more qualified to play mm-hmm. than Jonathan Quinn. But Jonathan Quinn was supposed to be this like guru of the offense that was going to be able to – uh, help Rex along the way because, you know, Rex is learning a new offense in his second year, kind of like, uh, you know, our current situation mm-hmm. or the way it was all the time with Jay Cutler. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're learning a new offense. Uh, come on, Justin, get ready. We need a new offense. But the point is the next week the Bears go into the Metrodome and Grossman blows his knee out on a, on a touchdown, no less. Mm-hmm. So you got our young, promising quarterback. And say what you want about Rex. He was 21 and 14 as a starter and led us to a Super Bowl. So fuck anybody that's going to say, well, Rex wasn't this or Rex was that. Rex had had promise, especially at this time. Yeah, I agree. And uh, he blows his knee out. And that is when the offense just went down the toilet. Like, we would have been much better had Rex not gotten injured. But then you're talking about the Jonathan Quinn show. <laughs> Right. And Quinn was so bad that they signed – look, I like Jeff George, but they signed Jeff George, who never got on the field. They signed Chad Hutchinson. At one point, they had Jeff Blake. Jeez. I mean, they had to sign, like, this these myriad of guys just off the street because Jonathan Quinn was so bad. Mm. And they gave Quinn an extended look during this run. So that's why the the, the offense struggled so mightily. And I guess if I had to connect dots, Terry Shea was probably an advocate of Jonathan Quinn, and thus he got the axe at the end of the season. Uh, that everyone, time. everyone believes that Quinn was on the team because of Lovey's offensive coordinator, Terry Shea, brought him with uh, from wherever he came from, KC. Kansas City, it's what's going to say, another Kansas City offense <laughs> that we tried to implement because the, the Chiefs had been bad for a couple of seasons mm-hmm. uh, from like 97 – they lost to Elway in the second round. And then like 98, 99, 2001, 02, they pretty much struggled. And then they got Trent Green and went 13 and three mm-hmm. in 2003 with Dick Vermeil. And so we wanted to take that offense, mm-hmm. the 03 Chiefs offense, the way we wanted to take Nagy and their Chiefs offense. And we tried it. And that's why we hired their, uh, Terry Shea, made him the OC, brought over Quinn. And that season was so bad because Quinn was so awful. And, you know, Erlacher, uh at that time, that's when people were saying that you know he was the most overrated player in the league after the 04 season. Because if I recall, isn't this is the first year he gets hurt too, right? Uh yes, I, I believe you're right. This is the first time Brian gets hurt, and right. then by 05 is when he becomes uh, defensive player of the year and 
you know, it makes this pretty dramatic comeback, you know, in terms of when he's voted like most overrated player and stuff, mm-hmm. which to be honest was bullshit. Cause he was not, ne- I mean, he was, he wasn't probably as great as people made him out to be, but mm-hmm. he certainly wasn't overrated and shitty. I mean, let's get, I mean, come on, man. You know, like I'm not his biggest fan, but he was never like a bad football player ever. We could never take that away from him. Jordan says that you are spitting some truth, and he's loving every second of your recollections of that era so far. So that rookie season for him did yield offensively uh, a total of 19 touchdowns, nine of them passing, 10 of them rushing, uh, worst in the league for total touchdowns, and individually running and passing. And so that, though, to me, though, uh, Dan, I heard every word you said. Um, but it, it it was kind of emblematic of the fact that Lovey's teams were just never going to be or never were uh, offensive powerhouses. It's it as we go on through his career here in Chicago. What about 06? 06 was a good Over year. Early season, Rex is slinging the pill, man. Offensive player of the year or the month in September of 06. And then what happened? He's throwing the ball. <laughs> Bernard Berry got. His life set. Mm-hmm. Bernard Berrien got a life-changing contract from the Minnesota Vikings as a result of Rex Grossman throwing him the ball. Right. Well, let's let's go chronologically here. And okay, let's go back to 04. Go to 04. So they end the season with a five and eleven record, and then um, Lovey's first draft. Actually, I've got a graphic here of the drafts under Lovey. So. His first draft was uh, 2000, and I got that wrong here. Let me see if I got that. 2004. And right. Tommy Harris was his first draft pick. And before he got injured, sensational player. He was looking like a Hall of Famer before his injury. Right. Greg said that, you know, he was told by Lovey, I need a three tech, and Tommy Harris is the guy, and Tommy Harris could have had one of a Hall of Fame career if it wasn't for the fact what I saw in, in several games were teams deliberately going for his knees and trying to get him out of the game because he was such a force. If I recall, again, this we're going all off memory here. Sure. It was the game in 06. I know we're trying to stick with 04, but 06, mm-hmm. the game the Bears wrapped up the North, it's like week 13, 14-ish. It was cold in Chicago against Minnesota. And Tommy tore his hamstring. Mm-hmm. It, and, of course, he misses the Super Bowl that year, just like Mike Brown. Two two players, if they were playing and were themselves, I don't think uh, Indianapolis beats us. But be that as it may, uh, Tommy was never able to recover from that injury. Yeah. I think it was a torn hamstring. It, it. He he had agreed to come on to the show, and we were going to talk to him about this, but he he bailed out on us. This happened a couple of times, and we're hoping that one day he will come on so we could talk about his great career with the Bears, and and he can add more complexion to these stories that we've had. So we've we've tackled these subjects uh, in the past, and uh, every time we relook it, uh, we learn more about what happened during that era of the Chicago Bears history. And by the way, that after Tank Johnson in the second round, Bernard Berrien was the third round draft Love pick. Love Bernard Berrien. And Nathan Vasher, the fourth round pick. 
Another uh, good pick, at uh, least for his first contract. Right. Uh, Craig Krenzel was selected in hey, the fifth round. Craig Krenzel won us three games. <laughs> that, is, that is true. We'll the, talk about that. In the 04 season, he won us three games. So okay. well, let's not shit on Craig Krenzel entirely. <laughs> well, let's let's move to, to that point of the season right now. Uh, okay. Well, I remember this uh, perfectly because uh, – the one game was on my birthday, mm-hmm. which is Halloween, against San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain Krenzel started that game. The next week, and this is a fun one, they go to the uh, to the Meadowlands to play the Giants, and Kurt Warner was with the Giants that year. That's the first year after the Rams because you know they turned it over to Mark Bulger. Mm-hmm. And to show you how great a guy Kurt Warner was, in their playoff loss to Carolina, they were struggling at one point in the game. It went to two, o, 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 two OTs, but Mike Martz wanted to turn it over to Warner in the playoff game. And Warner, who had already won Super Bowl MVP, league MVP, you know, wanted to play, but he told Mike, if you put me in, there's no going back to this other kid. Mm-hmm. If he's your guy, you have to stay with him. I'll go in. I want to go in. But if you want to play Alger moving forward, he's your guy. Mike, you have to stick with him. Who would have said that in any other scenario? Kurt Warner, great man, but he signed 0-4 with the Giants. And the reason I referenced this mm-hmm. is off the top of my head, this is the last start that Kurt Warner would have as a Giant. Their next game, they went to Eli. Ah. And Eli was their number one draft pick that year. And as you know, Eli would win them two Super Bowls. But the Warner game, when the Bears beat Warner, Warner had a decent game. But it was like, well, if he can't beat those sorry-ass fucking Bears and Craig Krenzel, we might as well play Eli. <laughs> That's right. And then the next week, the next week I had the, I had a gun pulled on me at a Cradle of Filth concert Whoa. after the game. <laughs> the, the, the place got robbed. The venue at the club I was Holy at went shit. to Salem, North Carolina. But be- that's a true story. I could waste a half hour on that story. But before that, I watched the Bears game. They were in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. The game goes to overtime, and the Bears won the game in overtime with the safety. I think it was Alex Brown that got the the tackle. And then, no, no, no. It was Michael Haynes, I think, now. My Our draft pick from 03, Michael Haynes is the one that won the game, I believe. Penn State defensive end, yes. And uh, so we won the three games in a row. It was San Francisco, New York, and Tennessee. Those two games were on the road, and that was with Krenzel. And if you recall, so the Bears Mojo, the defense was already starting to play good anyway, mm-hmm. or play well. So after the Giants and uh, Tennessee wins and that San Francisco win, Indianapolis was coming in. And Lance, I was a huge fan of Lance Briggs on the field. I like him on, on TV now, but, you know, Lance did a couple of things that we uh, could criticize, like the restaurant thing and certainly the Lamborghini crashing and things Indeed. like that. But yeah. Lance ran his mouth after he got a little chesty, pounding his chest, saying that, like, you know, hey, the Colts offense isn't that good. We're going to show you because they're coming into Soldier Field. Like, he basically said we were going to win the game. And then Eli or Peyton came in and and they beat us like 41 to nine or something. 41 to 10 was the uh, final score of that game. And and Peyton's numbers uh, were 17 of 28, only 211 yards. But Four touchdowns, one interception, was not sacked. And by the way, Craig Krenzel in that three-game uh, uh, streak, uh, or actually four, four, he played four games, I believe. He threw, uh, he was sacked five times, five times, five times, four times. 
Uh, his highest uh, passing yardage game was this game against the coach where he had 175 yards, one touchdown. He threw a touchdown in each of his games, uh, but this in this particular game he had two interceptions, which was uh, uh, he had at least one interception in his previous games. So he wasn't awful, but uh, certainly was not uh, Aaron Rodgers. More and we'll like get what to that. Was like a fifth round pick or whatever. He was, you know, he was okay. He's serviceable. Yeah, yeah, he's a he could be your good third stringer. Right. But he didn't make it past the 04 season, but after that it, after that Colts game, so they say, "Well, fuck it, we're going back to Jonathan Quinn," which is never a good decision. Mm-hmm. So they go to Thanksgiving in Dallas. And uh, they had some cool retro uniforms on that day. Dallas is playing the guy that used to beat Brady out in college, Drew Henson. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the Bears are it's it's like seven seven or seven to three. The Bears are in the game though. Mm-hmm. And then Drew Henson is so bad that Dallas says, fuck this. We're gonna bring in 44-year-old Benny Testaverde. <laughs> and Benny comes in and is like, I've had some bad blood against the Bears since my Tampa days. And, yeah. And and then leads them to a couple of touchdowns, and and then we lose that game rather easily. Because uh, we couldn't stop Vinny when he came in. Yeah, the final was 21-7. to They scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. The Bears for three quarters were tied with them 7-7. Uh, uh, seven to seven. And that's the game where uh, Jonathan Quinn entered that game and threw a couple of interceptions. I thought he started. Maybe, he may maybe. have started. I, I think you're right. He did start. Yeah, because that's what I'm saying. They went to Quinn after the Krenzel lost to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then... Dallas brought Vinny off the bench, and Vinny had some really good years with the Browns slash Ravens because he went to, you know, he led Cleveland to the playoffs with Belichick, and then when they were sold, he went to the Ravens and and was throwing the ball well too, Mm -hmm. and then went to the Jets and led them to the AFC Championship. Vinny was a lot better. I mean, he threw for like 50,000 yards in his career, at least 40. Yeah, Vinny was a lot better, but he was on some really horrendous Tampa Bay teams in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw how bad Steve Young was in Tampa, and he made the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So Vinny was a lot better than people give him credit for, is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, he was really old. Yeah, They brought him off the bench in Dallas, and, uh, in Dallas and we certainly couldn't stop him at that point. And then Jonathan Quinn is so bad. That they're like, fuck it, we're going to sign former Cowboy <laughs> Chad Hutchinson, former baseball player, off the street. That's right. Man. Bringing this guy off the street. He's at the Sandlot somewhere. He's coming in, and he's going to start against Minnesota, and that's going to be our only win the rest of the season. Exactly. Chad Hutchinson comes in off the street, goes 18 for 30, 213 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked five times. I mean, the, the Bears that season were probably the most sacked team in the NFL, but boy, oh boy, what a victory that was over Dante Culpepper, Randy Moss, and, and uh, the Vikings. That was a great, great game uh, for Lovey Smith. And then it immediately turns to shit. We have two horrendous games. I am looking at football reference now in full disclosure to try to remember that can help me sure. jog my memory on consistency. Yeah, they have two. I mean, that game against the Texans, mm-hmm. there was a, a run before Mitch beat uh, Houston a couple of years ago. And it's ironic that Lovey's there now. 
uh, the Texans, we could, we were like 0-5 against the Texans or 0-4 mm-hmm. and never beaten the Texans because they didn't come in until 0-2 and you only play them every four years, whatever. So, uh, but they lost at Soldier Field in a game that was extremely cold, like single digits mm-hmm. to the Texans as I'm looking at the score now. 24-5. to 24-5, a safety in the third quarter. It sounds like a fucking like a, a bad baseball game. <laughs> Yeah, the White Sox and Cleveland, right? Right. I mean, in that Jaguars game, they lost 22 to 3. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, and then before we even highlight that, the game that really pisses me off, uh, because like I've mentioned this on air before. So they go to Ford Field the next week in week 16, and Hutchinson's starting again now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't remember if he played in the Texans game, and I assume he did, the Texans, but. I know he played in Detroit, and we're down, as I look at the score, 19 to – yeah, we're down by six. At the end of the game, he throws a touchdown about 50 yards to Bernard Berrien that would have been the game winner, and it's the same play that Calvin Johnson got fucked on in the opener of 2010 at Soldier Field. Mm-hmm. Where he caught the ball, but he didn't complete the catch. You know that bullshit. Oh, yeah. And no one remembers – that actually happened to the Bears in week 16 of 04 with Bernard Berry and the same rolling, the same play. So when everyone was like, ah, the Bears cheated Detroit in 2010, I was like, fuck that. They got exact. It took six years, but they got exactly what happened to us at Ford Field. No one remembers the first part of that. That Calvin Johnson play happened to Bernard Berry and at Ford Field. Yeah. True story. And we lost the game. Lost the game. I was so mad about that. I mean, even though they're, you know, at that time, like five and ten or whatever, four and ten. I was so pissed off that they that they got, in my opinion, were cheated and just jobbed in that game. Mm-hmm. So that uh, that pretty much sums up the 2004 season or uh, his rookie season. He, he being Lovey Smith, uh, the team um, had a league wide uh, average of 14. Excuse me, a season average of scoring 14 points a game, 238. Uh, yards per game this according to bleacher report by comparison the colts were averaging uh, more than double the amount of points 32 points a game 404 yards so the offense had some work to do and um they were of course we're getting rex grossman back in that uh draft the 205 Just draft for a little bit now don't forget rex is gonna get hurt in the preseason next year. <laughs> exactly my heart broke when that happened and, and so did rex remember they had him on the tv he was on the cart mm-hmm. broke his ankle mm-hmm. and i forget exactly what he said but they were zoomed in on him and he was like fuck or bullshit or he said something he clearly mouthed god damn it or something it was an expletive when they zoomed in on him when he was on the cart mm. at St. Louis in that dome. Yep, I'll never forget that uh, moment. I, I just thought, man, this poor kid is uh, snake bitten. Snake bitten, the perfect word. Yeah, and uh, that was the off season where the Bears drafted Cedric Benson. And if you are a follower of the Gabriel Talks Football Show, one of the people in the chat room asked, "Why was Cedric Benson?" Greg Gable, of course, was the Bears' director of scouting at the time. He was asked, why did the Bears select Cedric Benson over Aaron Rodgers? And this was oh. Greg's response. Lovey wasn't sold on Thomas Jones. Hmm. With the players, different story. Yeah. The players love Thomas Jones. Yeah. And 
you know, then they had Lovey was from Texas and said was from Texas. And, mm. um, that was his, that was his guy. Um, and interesting, you know, we did a lot of work. I'll tell you, now you look at tape of, of said Benson in Texas mm-hmm. and that was one SOB. Now. Oh yeah. Very impressive. You know, said was a real bell cow mm-hmm. at, at Texas. Um, but you know, again, that, that, that was a, a, the guy Lovey wanted. The, the veterans never accepted him. They, they, you know, because they were, Thomas Jones was a pro's pro mm-hmm. and the vets knew it. Wow. And they were like, what the fuck are you drafting this guy for? And mm-hmm. it had nothing to do with said. It had everything to do with, they were taking care of um, Thomas Jones. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, in training camp, anytime, said touch the ball they'd kick the shit out of him wow welcome to the bears that was unbelievable story um made some headlines on some websites um can i interject one please do because i wanted to ask you what did you think of that story and uh, what was your initial reaction when, when the bears drafted benson well, let me let me just comment on one thing that Greg said. Sure. And again, I don't want Greg yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not trying to contradict Greg in the sense that Greg knows his shit. He was there. I, I'm just, you know, Johnny football fan. Sure. But I'm not saying that he's wrong that Lovey didn't like Thomas Jones. Mm-hmm. At least initially, it's a, it's a fact now. This isn't like some like theory of my personal as soon as the free agency period had begun, mm-hmm. like midnight, whatever the day was, going into the 04 calendar football season, the Bears signed Thomas Jones within like 10 minutes, or the news broke as soon as the calendar year opened. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the part is off my memory. I think it was the first official signing of the offseason for any team. Mm-hmm. So if Lovey wasn't on board with Thomas Jones – and it's Lovey's first season. I don't think they signed Thomas Jones within four and a half minutes or whatever it was. Now, having said that, maybe after the 04 season, he wasn't sold on him. But initially, he must have been. Because you think if Thomas, if Lovey's going into his first season as head coach and they haven't had the draft yet and they signed this back as a free agent, if Lovey was like lukewarm to him, they wouldn't have signed him. Hmm. Well, and but, I mean, that's just that. But maybe, I mean, Greg knows his shit. So, but prior, perhaps after the 04 season, Lovey was like, I don't know. Maybe that's fair. But initially, he had to be his guy because they signed him immediately. Well, we know that Lovey, his famous saying was, uh, was we're going to get off the bus. We're getting the off bus. the bus running. Right. And so perhaps that's why he preferred a running back like Cedric Benson, who, as Greg said in that clip, was a bell cow. This guy was right. carrying the ball 30 times a game over at Texas, and perhaps he thought that Thomas Jones wasn't that guy. And Thomas Jones' stats for that 2004 season were pretty damn good. 948 yards rushing, seven touchdowns as a receiver. He caught 56 passes, total yards from scrimmage, 1,375. That's what you want out of an all-purpose yeah. back. In 05, he's even better. Yep. In 05, because Rex is hurt, they put in the rookie from the fourth round draft class from Purdue, Kyle uh, Orton. Mm-hmm. And the Bears are facing eight-man fronts and still running the ball. Mm-hmm. And not just running the ball and getting two yards and punting. Thomas Jones was running over eight people 
with like 25 carries a game. What we're saying we drafted set the late Cedric Benson for mm-hmm. is exactly who they had in Thomas Jones in the 05 season. I don't know what his stats are, but I bet you if you look to him, they dwarf the 04 stats. Well, let's take a quick look at those stats for Thomas Jones. Um, he was a fucking beast in 05. 1,335 yards rushing. Uh, that's about 500 yards more rushing. And um, he had... That's with Benson on the team. Yeah, and that's, that's with Benson and a good old Adrian Peterson. No, not that Adrian Peterson. <laughs> You're a, a very serviceable player. We very. always kind of mocked that AP, but he was with us from 02 through like 07, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. He did well. 1,500 yards of total scrimmage uh, uh, yards. And, uh, I mean, Benson's rookie season, he only had 272 yards rushing. And uh, 200. Couldn't get Thomas off the field, could man. Not. That's why. That's right. And that's why uh, the uh, the team, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that the Bears' defense didn't help Cedric at all. They were beating the shit out of him in practice. <laughs> you know what's the biggest irony of ironies, of course, <laughs> is that Cedric Benson, much like Curtis Sinus, much like Rashawn Salam, every back that we draft, although, again, Salam had a good rookie year, mm-hmm. he's dead. Mm-hmm. Enos blows his knee out in his rookie year, and that's a wasted pick in, in hindsight. This is a wasted pick in hindsight. But in the biggest irony of irony, Benson's best game as a pro would be against the Bears. Mm-hmm. As a member of the 09 Cincinnati Bengals. Beat the shit. Over played, 200 yards rushing, I think, if I remember right. Yeah, he ran over the Bears in the cold in Cincinnati. He was the guy we thought we were drafting. Like the way we wanted him to be as a member of the Bears, mm-hmm. he had that revenge game on us like every old bear does, except right. Mike Glennon. Thing. <laughs> exactly. but, uh, every other old bear has a fucking game against the Bears where you're like, oh, man, we're going to have to eat shit today. <laughs> Brian Greasy starting, so he's going to throw for 400. He's never done it before, but by God, he's going to do it today. That is right. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, uh, Benson ran over us in 09. Like, it was just uh, – he probably had like 260 yards rushing that mm-hmm. day. Yep. Well, so it's the 2005 season. It's Lovey's second season, an 11 and five record, and they yeah, make but it, it to didn't the start playoffs. out that way. They didn't start. They go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. No, no, that's okay. Go ahead. Uh, first game September 11th, which 9/11 in terms of the event is still really embedded in everyone's consciousness. Mm-hmm. We're talking four years later. So the opening day is in Washington. And uh, Kyle Orton had barely played in the preseason uh, and did okay when he was in there, but suddenly as the starter because they cut Hutchinson because he was so bad in the preseason and just said, okay, we're going to play Kyle. Mm -hmm. And I think we lose like nine to seven. It was a nine to seven game indeed. Uh, And ugly, ugly game. Lance, Lance did a clothesline move that would make Dick Butkus happy. On Patrick Ramsey of Washington, and Ramsey never played again in Washington, I think. Wow. I'm fairly certain because he hit him. Like I said, it looked like something from NFL films in 1966. <laughs> and he hit him and knocked him out, and they brought in Mark Brunel, and Brunel would lead them to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And Ramsey never played again as a member of the Redskins, but he was taken out. He was their young, their young, what they thought was their young star in, in, in the making. Uh, by Lance Briggs. Mm. Uh, but what I was going to say, though, is that the Bears start that year at one and three. They had a lead in Cleveland, uh, maybe like 10 nothing or something in the fourth quarter. 
and they lose it to bald fuck Trent Dilfer, who did win a Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't want to take anything away. But Trent Dilfer leads the Browns to a victory over us in the fourth quarter. Mike Brown is so upset in the post game, and he was like, I just can't believe we lost this game, man. We fucking suck. He's like, we suck. We are so overrated. Everyone talks about our defense being this and that. We suck. Mm-hmm. And the Bears were one and three, and they went eight games in a row after Mike Brown gave us his heart in that presser. Yeah, a- a- amazing game. That was one of those games that if you were alive for, you just won't ever forget that game. Man, oh, man. Um, so – uh, throughout this season, a- after that that loss to the Browns on October 9th, um, yeah, I got that correct. Twenty to ten loss. They go on to beat the Vikings, the Ravens, the Lions in overtime, the Saints, the 49ers. That Lions game. Can I come in on the Lions game? Please. I've talked about this on there too, but you have to remember, the O one Bears are so you know thirteen and three, and you just hope that they're. They're going to be as good as the record. They have those miracle comebacks of Mike Brown against San Francisco and Cleveland. Then they lose to McNabb at home in the playoffs. And, you know, the whole offseason, you're like, man, it wasn't a fluke. The defense is, you know, they got Trailer and they got Washington and, and they're going to be good. And and then everything falls apart in 02 when they're 4 and 12. Then they're 7 and 9 in 03. And the reason I reference 01, the Bears have been under 500 since the start of the 02 season. They started that year 2 and 0. They had a 20-point lead against New Orleans in week three, lost that game, and then lost eight in a row in 02. Mm. So they had not been over 500 in over three seasons. Wow. Going back to early 02. Mm-hmm. So it was this game in Detroit, I think it was October 30th. Yeah, October 30th, because my family was at my apartment. I lived in an apartment back then. Um, my, my girlfriend at the time was there. My ne- My kid nephew was like four then and he was there and both of my sisters are still alive my mom was still alive so they came up to see me to celebrate my birthday because my birthday's halloween was going to be on monday Mm -hmm. Uh, but they wanted you know it's a weekend so we'll do my birthday today Mm -hmm. but before we did anything they came up i'm like fuck that now the bears game's on you all have to wait before we do shit the bears (laughs) game's on and uh it it hadn't been over in over 503 seasons the game goes to overtime and jeff garcia gets intercepted by Peanut Tillman, who runs it back for a pick six in the win in overtime. And I fucking cried, man. I'm not going to tell you. Just to be over 500 again. How about it? felt it? like, I mean, for three seasons to just be like the, the laughing stock of the league, it felt like. Mm-hmm. And now we're over 500. Like I said, that was the best, at that time, it felt like the best birthday gift anyone could give me. Just just to be four and three. Yeah. After yeah. hearing, even Mike Brown, we suck. Oh, we're one and three. And it's like another lost season. And uh, like I said, Tillman takes it back, throws a ball at the wall at Ford Field when he scored. Man, I, I cried. That was it was so fucking beautiful to think on a team that could win again. Mm-hmm. You know, not on the team, but as a fan. You know, I mean, this, sure. this team means everything to me. Yeah, October thirtieth, uh, and um, Kyle Orton, rookie Kyle Orton, is starting all these games because his dad said earlier Rex Grossman 
had an injury in preseason. And so Kyle started game one and went on averaging about 140 yards passing. And that's off the top of my head. He wasn't a prolific passer by any means. I mean, 141 was his first game, 150, 149, 117, 117, uh, 145. The game that uh, Dan just referenced, 230 yards passing against the Lions. And uh, on they go. I Orton's stats were not good by any means, but the Bears were winning games. And that other super memorable game is in week nine, Dan. Take us to the San Francisco 49ers and the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field. Let me say one more thing about the Detroit game. Sure. And this is off my memory. I could be wrong, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm fairly certain I'm at least in the ballpark here. One of our drafters who showed – so much promise was Mark Bradley. Yes. The wide receiver. He got hurt in that Lions game, I think. Mm. It was never the same again. Yeah. That's and that's, you know, you look at a lot of the draft picks during that Greg Gabriel era, and there was some really uh uh unlucky picks, guys that got hurt, like Gabe Karimi, uh Colombo, a, a number of other guys who had promise. I mean, I was so excited when we drafted both of those guys. I thought, wow, we're going to need some help at the offensive tackle position, offensive line. And w- w- with Karimi, uh, I think he was injured in the preseason or the first game of the season. He just, And he came back. He was just never the same. He never looked like the player I saw at Wisconsin play who was a dominating uh, left tackle. But uh, go ahead and take us now to San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco, the game the game's amazing because, you know, they always – you know, the nickname, of course, for the city is the Wendy City. And as I've been told by people like yourself and, and Chicago individuals, it's called the Wendy City for some other fucking reason other than the wind, which I can't remember what it is, but it's not actually the wind. Mm-hmm. And But that day at Soldier Field, it was the wind. Like <laughs> Robbie tried to kick a field goal I'll never forget uh, it. into the wind. That was blown like 25 yards away from where he attempted to kick it. At least 25 yards. It was the most bizarre thing I ever saw. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we should rewind before. Let's mention Robbie here. Okay. For some unforeseen reason, and everyone always talks about his corkscrew stance or whatever, Paul Edinger never missed a game-winning kick uh, with us. He was solid, man. But for some reason, uh, the Vikings tried to sign him initially – during Jerron's run mm-hmm. and we matched his offer where he was a restricted free agent and the bears kept him. But after that Oh four season, lovey let him go for so I don't know why uh, Edinger did well for us. And he goes to Minnesota and doesn't miss a game winner that year. He has like two or three game winners. And then they got the kid, the Brian Longwell from green Bay. And then they cut him and he never played again, but Edinger was good for the bears. But after 04, Lovey lets him go. And initially, we signed former San Francisco. He won a Super Bowl in San Francisco in 94. Doug Bryan. Yep. Remember the name. Horrendous. <laughs> Absolutely horrendous for the Bears. So by week, I think it was that game. And because of Hurricane Katrina, we played New Orleans at LSU. Mm-hmm. Because they couldn't, you know, fucking Superdome. They couldn't play there. Mm-hmm. And that was the first game we, we went to Robbie, I think. Whom was who was uh, working as a construction guy? That's right. <laughs> and then obviously 
Robbie's still having a great career and still we'll see him opening day this year. That's right. And hopefully as a member of the 49ers. So hopefully he uh, won't have a game winning yeah, field goal. He'll have a shitty day because <laughs> you remember the last time he came into Soldier Field, he, he had like four or five field goals. Five. Beat the Bears. Yep, indeed. Robbie's revenge game and Jimmy Garoppolo's first start. <laughs> We, we, uh, after maybe we should break. do a show just dedicated to revenge games that have really fucked the Bears up and us Bears fans because uh, you've already got a good good list going in this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, that San Francisco game, like I said, Robbie had that wild, bizarre kick. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time it was an NFL record. It's probably been eclipsed now. But Nate Vasher, was it off a missed field goal? Yes, it was off a missed field goal. Yeah, had like a 108-yard return for a touchdown in that wind. Mm -hmm. And the Bears, another fun stat, that was the first day that the Bears ever wore the orange jersey. Mm. That is like, right. Like that that like is so right. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was a 108-yard field goal return. Um, and Robbie, oh, yeah, Robbie Gold got the, the, the extra point. And then the, uh, Joe Nedney nails his second field goal, so the Bears are, are winning 7-6. to six. Uh, And in the opening drive of the fourth quarter, the Bears matriculate the ball downfield, and Adrian P Peterson finishes the yard with a seven-yard rushing touchdown. Robbie o adds another field goal, and the final 17-9, to nine, a very memorable game in Bears Listen history. to this. I knew they had a bum playing, but I couldn't think of his name. So I went to pro football reference. San Francisco playing quarterback that day was some guy named Cody Pickett. <laughs> he was one, one of 13 for 28 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. Uh, that be the worst line in the history of football. Uh, that is probably Who in correct. the fuck is Cody Pickett? That had to be his only start. <laughs> Cody no, Pickett. he started one game in 04 and five games in 05. Yeah, because the quarterback, is the, it's the toughest position to find anyone he qualified. So sometimes you have to throw some guy in off the street. <laughs> Unbelievable. Where did this guy come from? Let me look at Wasn't he, he out for west? Washington in college. Yeah, I was going to say he was uh, uh, out west. Uh, University of Washington Huskies, I believe they're called. God, he was terrible. I've never seen a guy play that bad. And that includes <laughs> a Will Fuhrer, mm -hmm. who the Bears had in 92 from Virginia Tech. Mm -hmm. so or the, Steve Stenstrom. So the Bears make the playoffs uh, for the first time in, in Lovey's uh, coaching career with the Bears, his second season. Not bad. Do you recall what happened in that first playoff game? Oh, of course. So we're going straight to the playoffs? Yeah, because uh, we're already an no, hour. No, no, no. You, there's a one game you can't you – can't, oh, there's two games we can't bypass. But okay. one, we absolutely can't. Okay. Okay. Go for it. So for all these years, this is – let me look at the date. Mm-hmm. It's December 4th, 2005. Now, I'm glad we don't have any Packer fans among us tonight. At least I hope not. <laughs> no. Because they can pound their chest on this. Brett Favre, of course, had made all those consecutive starts. Mm -hmm. Had not lost at Soldier Field since 1993. Yep. Keep that in mind. 94, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004. Mm -hmm. Here we are consecutive wins at Soldier Field. Hmm. Now, the Bears had beaten them in Green Bay several times, right. but they couldn't win at home. Yeah, And here it is, finally, for the first time since I was 13 years old, and at this point, I'm 24. No, 25. I, I was 13 the last time the Bears had won at home against Green Bay, 
and now I'm 25. Mm. So fuck. They beat the Packers that day. Not only did they beat the Packers, there was a slow-mo shot of Favre when he got sacked, and he got up and he was clenching his fucking teeth, and they showed it in slow-mo, and he was bleeding from his mouth. Yes, I'll never forget it. So they <laughs> bloodied Brett Favre that day. They beat the shit out of Brett Favre that day, and they won the game 19-7, to but they fucked him up. That is something... We can't skip over. God damn it. I'm glad you didn't. And wasn't that Rex Grossman's first game back? Nope. That's the other game I was going to. Okay. Uh, the week before. Okay. You're right. You're right in uh, in a certain sense. Um, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Kyle's still playing that day. And then we get our asses kicked in Pittsburgh when Jerome Bettis runs over Erlacher Ugh. in the snow. But the, the game Rex comes back is a Sunday night game against the Falcons. Mm-hmm. It's cold. I mean, it's really, it's brutally cold. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the sidelines, our friend Olin, I call him my friend because I don't want him to kick my ass. <laughs> Kyle Orton is terrible in the first half. He's like two of 12 for 16 yards or something. And by that time, Rex got hurt in like the second or third preseason game. And by the Falcon game, it is December 18th. Mm -hmm. So he got hurt in August. His broken ankle is healed now. Mm -hmm. So to start the second half, oh, the Olin thing, and late in the first quarter, late in the second quarter, late in the first half, uh, Musa Muhammad gets in Orton's face because he's, he's just playing awful mm -hmm. and is running his mouth to Orton. And Olin's the one that stepped in and pushed Muhammad away and basically pointed at him and said, shut the fuck up. And, of course, Muhammad did. <laughs> um because that's Olin. And so they go to Rex at the start of the, of the third quarter. Uh, it was Mike Patrick and Joe Theismann and Paul McGuire. It's on ESPN Sunday Night Football. And uh, Rex comes in. The first pass, he throws a bullet like 20 yards or so to Musa and Muhammad for a first down, which eclipsed anything Kyle had done in like the last month. Yes, indeed. So he got a standing ovation when he came into the game. And then they gave Rex another standing ovation as soon as he completed the pass to Muhammad. But for unfortunately for the way Rex's tenure in Chicago would go, he's hot, he's cold. Uh, he drives for opening drive. They go straight down the field, and then he gets picked off in the end zone. Mm -hmm. so, so that's that's sad. Rex in a nutshell. Regardless. So so sad. Um, but go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, please. I was going to say. So, but, but so Rex, they win that game because Michael Vick did not want to be there. Uh, he'd rather have been fighting his dogs. No, that's a cheap shot. I'm kidding. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> he went to prison. He served his time. I hope he's good and well and everything else. But he didn't want to be in Chicago, kind of the way Jared Goff was when he was a member of the Rams that year. Mm -hmm. So the next game, and this is special, the next game, they go to Green Bay on Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's a special. I think it's a Saturday. I don't know that for sure, but it's the only game playing that day because I remember my girlfriend and I went to my mother's house for Christmas and then got right got home just in time for the game. Mm -hmm. It's at Lambeau Field, Christmas night. Lance Briggs had a pick six from Brett Favre that night, but Rex in his first start of the season, because again, he came off the bench in the Atlanta game, first start of 05, wins the division title, 
at Lambeau. At Lambeau. It was a Sunday night, uh, Christmas night. Uh, it, it was a 4 o'clock start here in Chicago. Uh, and I love those late starting games in Green Bay or Chicago because the, the lighting is so cool and the pictures are super crisp. And you're absolutely right. That was one of the Bears' biggest victories. At this point, the, the head coach, Lovey Smith, who came into they Chicago saying, we will, yeah, exactly. We will beat Green Bay first. And they were, at that point, he was, I, I want to say, three out of four. Three wins in four seasons in his two seasons as head coach yeah. uh, uh, of, of the Bears against the Green Bay Packers. So at this point, the, the town is in love with Lovey. <laughs> it, it, and and rightfully so. So they lose that. Uh, that it was a meaningless game, wasn't it? The, yeah, they they played Jeff Blake. They didn't even play Rex. Right. They rested everybody. Exactly. And so they had a uh, a playoff bye for the first week. And so they started the division championship game against the Carolina Panthers. Take us to that game. I I just want to give you two important points. Sure. Before we go to Carolina. <laughs> This would influence Lovey's decision in 2010. Mm -hmm. If you recall, week 17, they're at Green Bay. If they beat Green Bay, they knock them out. This is the year we're going to lose the NFC Championship game to Green Bay. Mm -hmm. But Lovey played everybody, and he said at the time, part of his justific—pardon <clears throat> me—part of his justification was I rested everyone in 05, and I regretted it because Car what Carolina is going to do to us the next time we play. Um, so. He played uh, J Jay Cutler and all the defensive starters in, in Green Bay in 2010. We lost that game like it was fiercely competitive. It was like 10 to three. Mm -hmm. uh, and but obviously they went for the jugular to beat Green Bay. But part of that was because of this game, where they go to the Metrodome and don't even try, and their starters after the bye are are just out of sorts, you know. Uh, but also, let's not sleep on the fact that the bears were one and three at the beginning of the season. Mike Brown says what he says. They go from one and three. And at one point they're 11 and four after starting one and three. Mm -hmm. And then they just don't try in the Metrodome. And so they finish the year 11 and five. So here comes John Fox. We, we don't like John Fox, right? Uh, the Carolina Panthers, but the bears had beaten them and beaten them soundly at Soldier Field back on November 20th. Mm -hmm. I think they had sacked DeLome like six, seven times and just pounded them into dust. And so I don't know if the Bears were overconfident, but suddenly in the playoff game, like Charles Tillman probably has his worst game as a Bear. Steve Smith had like 220 yards receiving on Peanut. Yeah. And if I remember, the Bears are going to lose 29 to 21. That, but DeLome uh, eats us alive right. that day. He certainly did. And it was a – everybody was in love with Lovey at that point, but the reaction here in Chicago is how come they never fucking adjusted to Steve Smith? At halftime here, I had already compiled on a huge amount of yards, and so the expectation was they'll double-team Steve Smith, take him out of the game – but they didn't. They left him on one-on-one -on -one coverage, and he continued to toast the Bears' defense. And Think about this. Ron Rivera perhaps uh, deserves some of the blame as well. Think about this. First quarter, again, the first game we've just beat the dog shit out of them. First quarter with 14 minutes and five seconds remaining in the first period. Mm -hmm. 
Steve Smith catches a 58-yard touchdown pass from Jake DeLome as soon as the game starts. Mm -hmm. And and from there, we're just – and this is at Soldier Field. Mm -hmm. From there, we just – we can't catch up. Mm. It's suddenly 10 to nothing. It's 13 nothing. Then we, we come back and it's 13-7. Then it's 16-7. Then finally, Des Clark catches a touchdown. We're in the game 16-14. But guess what happens? Steve Smith, 39 yards from Jake DeLome. It's 23-14. Then McKee scores on a touchdown. It's 23-21. We're back in it. And wouldn't you know it, Carolina is going to – DeLome throws another touchdown. They miss mm -hmm. an extra point. They beat us 29-21. Um fucking believable so the season is over that's uh lovey smith's second season with the chicago bears and oops uh wrong graphic i got so 2004 he's 5 and 11 2005 he's 11 and 5 and then comes what for bears fans of uh of a certain age probably the best season they've ever experienced as a chicago bears fan the 2006 season yeah. Why don't you go ahead first, and take us through that? First day. First day is at Green Bay, opening day. Mm -hmm. And I'm nervous about this. It's Mike McCarthy's first game. Of course, he's the Dallas coach now, as you know. Mm -hmm. And he led Green Bay to a Super Bowl win. First day, and if I remember, the game kicked off late, 4.15 my time. Yep. And uh, the, the first drive of the game, I, I think Green Bay had it first – but the first time the Bears had it, mm -hmm. Rex is back. He's the star. He's beaten Orton in the preseason, thankfully, because he's better than Orton. I don't care what anybody says. And Rex goes play action, 49 yards down the field to Bernard Berry and touchdown Bears. It's 7 to nothing. And then the rookie, the man who's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame, and rightfully so, in the fourth quarter, uh, returns his first punt for a touchdown. Devin Hester to the house, 84 yards, and the Bears win opening day in Green Bay, 26 nothing. Yeah, and a bookending those two touchdowns, uh, Barian's 49-yarder and Hester's 84-yard punt return were four Robbie Gold field goals. That was a stupendous way to start the season, and everyone in Chicago started thinking, wait a minute, maybe – that 2005 season was the 84 season for the Bears, and this is going right. to be the uh, 85 season for the Bears. So take us to the following week. Following week, Detroit comes in. It's one of those games. Lovey, early in his tenure, in the first game at home, would have us wearing white, mm -hmm. which they had never done before. Uh, for I think it was in like 05-06 that they did that. Uh, and so Detroit's in Chicago – and we're wearing white that day, and we just wiped them out 34 to 7. Next week at Minnesota, the game that I remember vividly, um, Minnesota's 2 and 0 at the time, and so are we. And it's at the Metrodome, and uh, the Bears are struggling all day. But Tommy Harris makes a play, like takes on a double team, hits a motherfucker, probably Chester Taylor, future Bear at that point mm. in 2010 and strips him and gives us the ball back late in the game when it looked like it was over, and then Rex threw a touchdown, I think, to Rasheed Davis. That's indeed who it was. To win the game, and the irony is, again, Rasheed had been a corner, a backup corner the year before. They make him a wide receiver here, um, and they win the game, and then the Vikings 
the paper, the, like the ensuing stories from the game were saying that Rex was foul mouthed. Like after that, that touchdown, he just kept saying the F word. <laughs> like we're grown men here. They said Rex kept talking shit to him and was cussing them. And they were complaining about it. Oh, stupid. <laughs> I just can't believe it. It's like, man, you deserve to be, to lose. You're gonna, if your thing is all oh, the guys saying the F word around right. here, what the fuck, man? But yeah, so the Bears go and beat Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're 3-0. and And then it's a Sunday night game against Seattle. And it's like, man, Seattle's pretty good this year. Like they've got Sean Alexander and then the bears win 37 to six. Mm-hmm. Easy, night an easy peasy win. I mean, they dominated that game on national television. Yeah. How, how many times does that happen? <laughs> yeah. And then Dick, your old friend, Dick Jerron comes in mm-hmm. as a member of the Buffalo bills mm-hmm. and the bears win 40 to seven, man, we're cooking here. Right. Mm-hmm. And then comes the infamous Monday night game. Matt Leinard starting this first game with Arizona. And it's like, oh, man, it doesn't matter if it's the 85 Bears. If the other team's quarterback has never played before, mm-hmm. we make him look like a future Hall of Famer. Same thing starts happening here. Arizona is off, you know, to a big lead, probably 20 to nothing, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> this Sounds game, right. as, as every Bears fan knows, is so fun. I'm watching the same girlfriend I had in 05 is still my girlfriend at the time, Lakeisha. And she had gotten home or not home. We didn't live together. She'd gotten arrived at my apartment somewhere around the second quarter and was like, damn, should I leave? You know, cause she's, cause I'm going to be in a bad mood. Right. I was like, Oh, this game's not over. I don't give up, man. I don't give up. Fuck it. I don't give up this. And it was almost like, Maybe in the back of my head, I thought, okay, maybe this is over because it's looking so bad because Rex is throwing picks left and right. But I just kept saying to her, I don't give up. I don't give up. You, you'll wait and see. They're, they're not out of this game. And it was almost to just to make a point with her. I don't know if I believed everything I was saying is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. And they have like somebody on the Bears or the Cardinals defense was mic'd. I can't remember who it was. And they played it on ESPN. This is the first year ESPN had Monday Night Football. Mm -hmm. And the guys mic'd up, whoever the defensive player was, talking to Leinert on the sidelines. And they said, we've got total control of this game. They are looking for – they're counting on you to make a mistake to get back into the game. So just don't do – I mean, we're going in the fourth quarter. Just just chill. We got this. But he tells the guy, like he tells Liner, just they're they're looking for you to make a mistake. So next drive, the Bears are in the game. Liner gets hit by Mark Anderson. Fumble, fumble. Who's got it? Mike Brown. Scoop, score, touchdown, Chicago Bears. Yeah. Outstanding. And suddenly you're in the game. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Mike Brown, who was keeping context. Got hurt in that game in Green Bay when he scored a touchdown in 2004 in week two. Mm-hmm. Was out for the year. 05, he hurt his calf. Was out for the majority of the year and came back for that playoff game. But, you know, Tillman struggling as bad as he did that day. I mean, I'm not sure that's necessarily Mike Brown's fault. But 06, this game, he scores a touchdown. And then later in the quarter, he's carted off and he's out for the season. Mm-hmm. Just devastating. Awful. So, yeah, but now I think we're down like, uh, let me just look. Uh, I think it's 20 to 10 maybe after the touchdown. 
Uh, Mike Brown, twenty yeah, to ten, twenty-three yes. to ten, twenty-three, right? They had so field it's goal. twenty-three right. to ten, and Erlacher in his best game ever as a mm-hmm. Bear. I mean, there's no doubting this. Erlacher had like twenty-two tackles that night, mm-hmm. just unbelievable. He hits Edron James, stands him up. I mean, completely just. I mean, er, the weakness that Brian had for a lot of Bears fans would say that man when that fullback hit him that Corey Schlesinger or Jim Kleinsaucer from Minnesota and Detroit, they would eat him up. Mm-hmm. But And Edron James was not a small man here. Mm-hmm. But he hit Edron James and stood his ass up and stripped the ball from him. It, it, it's almost one of those plays like his the line of scrimmage was almost stopped. We're, we're lucky they didn't just blow the whistle there. Mm-hmm. But he stood him up, stripped the ball out, and Peanut picks it up, and he takes it to the house. And now it's 23 to 17 in the blink of an eye. Two defensive touchdowns. The offense has done nothing. That's right. But it's 23 <laughs> to 17. So they blo- they they stop Arizona again. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling her, I was like, see the game? It's not over. We're in the game. And then Arizona's got a punt to Devin Hester. Oh, don't punt it to Devin. Not now. And Devin takes it all the way back to the house. And suddenly we're winning the game, and the offense has not scored a single point. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. But don't sleep on this. The Bears are winning 24 to 23. Leinert has the capacity, and proved that, at least in this game, mm-hmm. to take Arizona back down the field. And he did, in spite of all this adversity. And the reason the Bears won this game, like people might think when Hester scored, that was it. It's not the case. No, that's Arizona's right. kicker, I can't remember who it was. Was it? Arizona's kicker missed like a 40-yard field goal for us to win. Right. Was it Rackers at that point? Uh, yeah, Rackers Neil, Neil Rackers. That yeah, yeah, that's right because I'm looking at the, the box. Yeah. Now. Rackers misses a field goal, though, that's not really deep. It's it's 40-41. Mm-hmm. It's like a Cody Parkey kick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, uh, That's a jab I shouldn't even acknowledge. <laughs> but he kicks the field goal and misses – Mm-hmm. And it just won the week before with the field goal, ironically. Yeah. And the Bears hold on to win. Shoo. And the game's over. But like you think, man, they go to a bye the next week mm-hmm. and they're undefeated. They're 6 and 0. The, Rex has just been named Offensive Player of the Month for September. They're scoring offense. They did. They Rex has his first bad game of the year, which is going to have two or three really shit games. Mm-hmm. But. He has his first bad game of the year, and defense scores two touchdowns. Hester scores, and they're like, man, it's su- this is a Super Bowl team. This is a Super Bowl this team. This is when you start to think. I remember my cousin, who uh, ironically uh, is at my house now. Um, my cousin uh, it was telling me, he's like, man, it was weird at a dinner, like Applebee's or something. And I hadn't really spoken to him that much early in the season. He's like, man, this could be your year. He's like, you're just blowing everybody out. Like, you're almost being assholes and running the score up. I remember him saying that on some of these games. But he's like, this could be the Bears' year you've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. So even people that weren't Bears fans are talking to me and saying, like, this is this is your team. Yeah. But we have to acknowledge, again, Mike Brown goes down there. Mm-hmm. That is, that's, that's a huge loss on the battlefield. And then what's coming is the Tommy Harris one against the Vikings. And you're taking two immense playmakers from your defense, and they're gone. Yeah, it hurts. And those so two much. guys were not in Miami. And if they were, mm-hmm. I think all of us are like talking about 
the 85 and the 06 Bears as being mm -hmm. championship teams. Mm -hmm. But that loss uh, against Miami almost made, well, for me anyway, made me feel this still is the 1985 Bears. They lost to Miami just like they did in 85. Watch, they're going to get, they're going to start winning again. In the next two weeks, they beat the Giants and they beat the oh, Jets. Let me, let me rewind. Go ahead. We had a revenge game against the Sierra Aldo in Miami. Who played quarterback? Uh, Former Detroit Lions, Joey, Joey Harrington. Harrington. <laughs> Joey Harrington, who played us twice a year, and arguably his struggles against the Bears got him out of town. That's right. And I don't remember who it was. It was somebody on the Lions told Harrington, your shitty play got Steve Mariucci fired. Yeah, it was Don Burr. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was somebody on the field. No, I know. I think it was Dre Bly. Was he a Lion in that era? Yeah, he was. He was. I think he's the one who told Harrington on the sidelines, you got Coach Mariucci fired. <laughs> and uh, so got himself fired, I think. Well, and then the Joey, of course, goes to Miami and has his revenge game against us because why not? And that's what I was telling you the, the week we were talking about, oh, man, we're going to be at the Bears-Dolphins game this year. Mm -hmm. The Bears have not beaten Miami in Chicago. Not that they've been there that often because right. it's only a couple of games. Right. They've not beaten them since opening day of 1988 Wow! at Soldier Field. 91, they have the game they should not have lost to in the snow against Marino, went into overtime, mm -hmm. shouldn't have gone into overtime. They had a 10-point lead with like two minutes to go and lost it. Um, then we play them in 94 in Miami, play them in 97 in Miami. They win both of those games. Mm -hmm. They went to 2 That's the game uh, – Ricky Williams had like 220 yards rushing on us on Monday night, blow us out. And then they, they come back to Miami for the first time since, or Chicago the first time since 91 in 06. Mm -hmm. Joey Harrington, they beat us. And then the last time they were in Chicago was 2014, was the last game I watched in my apartment before I moved to my house. And they beat us in 14 in Chicago too. So there have only been three games in Chicago since that 88 one. Because it sounds bad if you're like, man, we haven't beaten Miami at home since 88. You're like, damn, that's a long time. But they've only played three times there since. But they've lost all of them. Mm -hmm. We're putting it into that this year at our game, goddammit. <laughs> Justin Fields, we're going to beat the Dolphins. I feel it. Um, but, yeah, uh, so we beat San Francisco 41-10. to 10. Yeah. They lose to – to Miami, and now they're seven and one. So go ahead and pick it up. Russell, oh, I was oh. just gonna say they they walloped the shit out of the Giants, thirty-eight to twenty, um, on a Sunday night game. On a Sunday night game, November twelfth. Thomas 12th. Jones had a big run to 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 turn the game around. Our guy Thomas Jones, uh, he ended up with um, hundred and thirteen yards rushing that day. Uh, that touchdown only caught three passes for ten yards, but again, you know, he was the guy. Cedric Benson touched the ball. Uh, seven times and had a total of six total yards. Uh, not sure why Lovey didn't like <laughs> Thomas Jones because he was the guy. He was definitely the guy. Um, all right, so take us now to the game well, after that. Unless well, you... the, like this season, we had to play the Giants and Jets both in, in New Jersey, mm -hmm. which is going to happen this season. Mm -hmm. But that that it was back to back weeks in 06. Mm -hmm. Sunday night football, they beat the 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 Giants, and then they beat the Jets like ten. Is it ten nothing? Yeah, ten to nothing. The next week, back to back games up there, and then their third straight road game, they go to New England, which was a late evening kick, I believe, mm -hmm. on Fox, 
And uh, that's the game where Tom Brady faked Erlacher. It was bad. It, it was, was really bad. Ugly, ugly, ugly. Yeah, Brady's obviously not one with great dexterity and mm, moves. Nope. He's not exactly Randall Cunningham or Justin Fields or whatever athletic quarter, Donovan McNabb, a guy that could – Steve Young, a guy that could run the ball and, and juke you and stuff. Steve McNair. No, he's not that guy. Nope. But holy he, fuck, he made Erlacher look like an impotent fucking cock. <laughs> He finished with 12 yards rushing, Brady did. 11 of those were on oh, that yeah, run on six running attempts. Uh, so, yeah, that, that play was a backbreaker, man. It was I think awful. Rex got picked to lose. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yes, you're right. Uh, there was a, a – Rex threw an interception. I'm, I'm scrolling down the play-by-play play here. But poor Rex would uh, – always throw that unfortunate touchdown and late in the game he throws oh, i can't find it because we're down 17 to 13. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um yeah i'm not seeing it here for some reason no, i got the wrong game that's why but anyways let, let's move forward uh so they're nine and two mm-hmm. they go home and they clinch the nfc north against minnesota Mm-hmm. Uh, again, uh, this is the game that Tommy's going to get hurt, and it's late in the game, perhaps the fourth quarter. I think it's a torn hamstring. Mm-hmm. And Rex is really bad in it. It's the second game that he was awful combined with that Arizona game. And now we're hearing whispers of should Levy bench and go to Brian Greasy? Should they bench uh, Rex because he had like a 0-0 rating? Mm-hmm. against Minnesota, and that's when Lovey started to say, if you have it <laughs> queued up, I assume you might have that one. I Rex don't. I should have. <laughs> Rex is our quarterback. Is that, those are the words exactly? Yeah, I think so. Rex is our starting quarterback. <laughs> there you go. Like I should have that on a loop for us. <laughs> yeah. so, Do you think Rex, that was a good call for him to stick with Rex? Not in the Super Bowl, but mm-hmm. we're not there yet. At this time, sure, because – the next week is Monday Night Football against the St. Louis Rams, and all this pressure is on Rex. Mm-hmm. It's a real high-scoring affair. I'm looking at it now, 42-27 Bears. But Rex has all this pressure on him, like, man, you're going to get benched. And Rex has – he comes out 13-23 of 23 for 200 yards and two touchdowns, and he ran for 20 yards as well. Mm. Had a big run for a first down. Yeah, in that game that was critical at the time. So Rex came out and had a game. Uh, and when all the pressure of the world is on him at that point, because they're like, you're a su- you're on a Super Bowl team. Don't fuck it up, bro. Right. And now after the 42 to 27, oh, let's rewind. Uh, Hester had a 94-yard kickoff return for a touchdown in that game and a 96-yard kickoff return for a touchdown in that game. So... Devin is being Devin and like just an incredible rookie. And the Bears win 42-27 and they're 11 and 2. Mm. And it's 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 looking good, man. It's looking uh, damn good. They're going to they're going to beat Tampa the next week. Robbie misses a field goal that makes this game go into overtime. Mm-hmm. But somehow we survive with the kick in overtime at 34 to 31 and we're 12 and 2. Mhm. And uh, Rex game. had a Rex had a really good game in that uh, game. Uh, twenty nine out of forty four for three hundred and thirty nine yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, that game being the overtime win over the Bucks. Go ahead. 
Well, don't worry. He's about to have a stinker because we're going to beat Detroit. Let's just skip that one. Who cares? The Bears win 26-21, and they're 13-2. And then the final game, New Year's Eve, 2006, going into 07, the Bears enter the game 13-2, and this is where the stuff, our, our whole livelihood is about to switch because, like you've said, we, we've beaten Green Bay now. Lovey's 4-1 and one against Green Bay at this point as head coach. And then on Sunday night football, Brett Favre comes in and has a game. Of course, he's like, I might not play ball anymore because I might retire. And, you know, like you did that every year, especially if they had a game. And so the focus would be like, oh, my God, is this Brett's last game? Oh, my God. But Brett had one of those games, and he's picking up Greg Jennings and running around and and shoving it in her face. Mm-hmm. And the Packers went 26 to 7. Rex has a bad game. And then, oh, then he tells the press, uh, how bad was Rex uh, in this game? Two of 12 for 33 yards and three picks. Yeah, he was awful. So, so he tell, and then Greasy comes in as five of 15 mm-hmm. for two more picks. Mm-hmm. So neither guy is playing. But Rex tells the media that. Maybe he was thinking about his New Year's Eve plans. Yeah, sexy Rex. Uh, oh, man, don't say that, Rex. Like, somebody tell him. Like, he can't say that even if it's true. Don't mm. tell him. That's almost as bad as Mitch saying, like, I want everyone to turn off the TVs and shit. I don't want to hear about this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can't tell us you're not focused on the game, Rex. You can't. Mm-hmm. So true. That was it's awful. 13 and 3. The season's over. They got to buy. Seattle comes in. Oh, man. You remember last season? Last season, we smoked Carolina, and they came into Soldier Field, and they beat us. Mm-hmm. So, scared to death. They they blew up Seattle, 37-6. And here they come, and it, it was close. It, it goes into overtime. Rex Grossman steps up on a big third down, hits Rasheed Davis for a first down that sets us up in field goal range, and ultimately, a Robbie Gold field goal victory. That's right. And the Bears are moving to the NFC Championship game. Robbie notched two uh, field goals, one in the fourth quarter with four and a half minutes to go to tie the game. And then about uh, five minutes into the overtime, he hits that 49-yarder to move the Bears into the next round. And Rex is 21 of 38 for 282 yards that day. Mm -hmm. And like I said, had the big completion to, to set Robbie up an OT uh, to Rasheed Davis, just a, a, an immensely big-time, high-pressure pass. Mm-hmm. The next week, the, the New Orleans Saints are in town, and it's one of those games like, oh, man, they've gone from disaster and Hurricane Katrina and uh, not even having a home, and now here they are, and, they, and they're in the NFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. So it looked like maybe they're the team of destiny and not us. So it was a scary game. A lot of pundits were picking the saints to win. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can't remember what the spread was, but it's not like the bears are, are overwhelming favorites by any stretch. And if you look at breezes stats that day, he's awesome. 27 to 49 for 354 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he lit it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reggie Bush had a big touchdown and pointed at us. If you recall, and Absolutely. They, they got him for, for taunting. Yep. Uh, but early on in this game, the Bears had a lead. Uh, I'm going to say it was like 18 nothing. It was an odd score. Let me look here. 16 nothing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Colston scored, made it 16 7. And then Bush 
scores on like a, a screen pass I was talking about, goes 88 yards to the house, and then is pointing at us. Uh, but the Bears get a safety, and it's it's still it's 18-14. It's scary times, man, because like you've had this lead and you've blown it. And then Rex has a drive where they pass five straight times, five straight completions, and it ends in a 33-yard touchdown to Bernard Berrien. Mm-hmm. And the Bears now lead 25-14. It's starting to look good, man. And then the snow comes down, just like the 85 championship game. Now it's snowing at the end of the game. And Benson scores. It's 32-14. to 14, And it's like, man, this dream is coming true. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Thomas Jones, it was a 15-yard run, but he did a Marcus Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he the, like right, in Super Bowl field. 18, you know, Marcus reversed his field and scored. Well, in this one, Thomas runs right, and New Orleans' is D's there, so he completely reverses his field going left and gets away from everyone and score. He ran like 50, at least 35 yards to get 15 official yards. Right. That's what I'm saying. But scores a touchdown and puts the game away in the snow and just immense elation. You know, the Bears win 39-14. We're going to the Super Bowl, and New England and Indianapolis are about to kick, and I don't even care, man. I just, like, I don't care who we play. Yeah, let me uh, let me interject here. This is Please. Lovey Smith. Um on national TV, ESPN was doing their post-game show. They cut into Lovey Smith's post-game uh, press conference, and what he says here just endeared himself uh, more and more to Chicago Bears fans. Uh, I was asked about, you know, what I was thinking about all week. What did my dream? What was my dream like, and all that? And I just, I saw us. You know, giving Miss McCaskey the George, presenting Miss McCaskey with the George Hallis Trophy, you know, at our home, on our home field. And uh, they're just, again, I'm just rambling away here. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're in this position, you don't know exactly how to act, what type of emotions you're supposed to have, but they're just all natural right now. And, and we cannot, we cannot wait. I'm sorry. Celebrating a lot in Big Sandy, Texas right now? Well, I assume they are. I saw a sign there with, you know, with Big Sandy on it. Of course, that, you know, you normally don't see a lot of signs in Soldier Field with Big Sandy on it. I say we have a lot of Bear fans celebrating everywhere. Yes, I got it. Yes, I got a chance to talk to her. Uh, we didn't have to say a lot. You could see it in her face, how excited she was. I mean, this is a dream for her for a long time. We told her we would do that. You know, the team told her that they would bring it to her. Uh, of course, she's happy right now, but, uh, you know, the next game she'll be even happier. And, Dan, before you pick up the story, you might remember that at that point, Lovey Smith became the hottest coaching com- commodity in football. Yeah. The Bears were pay- paying him pennies, and it was a national story. This story here comes from the Associated Press. Lovey Smith from the Chicago Bears is the lowest paid head coach in the NFL at $1.35 million a year and one year left on his contract. Bears president and CEO Ted Phillips is getting one heck of a bargain. Lovey Smith um, has indicated to me he wants to be a head coach of the Bears for a long time. But Lovey has yet to be shown the big paycheck. Smith is from Texas and with Bill Parcells retiring, the Dallas Cowboys head coaching position is open. Chicago sports writers have started a flurry of articles about Smith being a candidate. Lovey Smith is our coach. Reading all that, frankly, rankles me. And 
If there's any truth to any of those rumors, we'll deal with that at a league level. Okay? He's our coach. He's under contract to us. And whether it's uh, Dallas or any other club that comes sniffing around, that's not right. And we're not going to let it happen. Phillips says Lovey Smith was hired at the market value for NFL head coaches with no previous experience. This offseason, the Atlanta Falcons just hired Bobby Petrino, a man with no previous NFL head coaching experience, for a reported four plus million dollars a year. And all Lovey Smith has done in his short tenure is win two straight divisional crowns, a conference championship, and is now one win away from a Super Bowl title. And that's what the Bears will have to pay for when they try to re-sign Lovey Smith. What do, what do you recall about that that time period uh, with Lovey having these contract negotiations that became national news? I I honestly didn't feel like it was a story. I thought that I mean he's not going anywhere, mm -hmm. and that proved to be true. He got a big contract extension, and I guess to placate him to sign that, they're like, well, if you really want Ron Rivera gone. You know, you can put your buddy as defensive coordinator and, and, and that'll be okay. Uh, we'll put Babich in there if that's what you want. And so they got rid of uh, Chico and uh, Lovey got his deal. I don't want to skip over the rest of 06, obviously, but uh, it never was the same after that. But, yeah, I, I didn't have any fear. I thought he, he's definitely not going anywhere. And we should also acknowledge, again, I've told you before, everyone's going to say, oh, well, Tony Dungy's the first black coach to to uh win a Super Bowl, which is true, but Lovey was the first African-American coach to advance to the Super Bowl. The Bears played first. That's right. That so is right. That's worth pointing out. That's a trivia question for Jeopardy someday. <laughs> Who was the first African-American coach to ever advance to the Super Bowl? Everyone's going to say Tony Dungy, but the answer is Lovey Smith. Indeed it is. So t now take us to the Super Bowl, um, probably the greatest moment of our lifetime for Chicago Bears. Uh, oh. Yes, it's, it's the opening kickoff, so, right? Yeah, but let's set the scene. Uh, it's in Miami. And um, I remember saying to my mother that day, and uh, I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not even going to the store. I'm not getting in a car accident somewhere outside. Something could happen that makes me not be able to watch this game. I'm not, I'm not leaving the, my apartment all day. Fuck it. I'll order delivery if I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. And, and the fucking electricity better not go out. Or, you know, this is like I've waited my whole life for this moment. Mm -hmm. And um, so it finally happens. But I keep seeing, you know, because I'm watching the coverage all day. You know, it's just like this is your dream. And and, and uh, so you're going to eat up all anything that's talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking raining, man. And it's raining hard. Mm -hmm. It's it's a monsoon. It's Florida. I mean, but you just you, you hope and shit. I hope this stops before and it doesn't. It rains the whole game. I hate the rain. The Bears always lose when it rains. <laughs> and it completely mitigates Rex's ability to throw the ball that day. I mean, it's just he didn't have it. And I don't know if it's just the rain or what, but I think. Well, I don't want to jump too far ahead. I'm just saying, I think I would have made the switch to Greasy in the second half. Mm -hmm. But because at that point, you're not worried about your backup or your starting quarterback's feelings. This is the championship. Mm -hmm. I don't care if Orton goes in. Like, of course, people always say Orton should have gone in, but Greasy was the backup. Yeah. Like, he's not going to go in over Brian. Right. So I don't care who gets us the win. 
at this point, I mean, it could be Adrian Peterson, the third string running back, having the game of his life. I don't care. Let's just get it done. Mm -hmm. But so we got all this rain. We got Jim Nance and Phil Sims, which, you know, that is what it is. I don't, everyone hates Phil. I don't like Nance. So, but they say before the kickoff, like, you know, Devin Hester, the rookie from Miami, he played college football here and uh, so dangerous. And the Colts have said they're not going to kick to him today. Mm -hmm. And then they kick to him. And then he goes he, it, it, all the way to the house. I remember Jim Nance's call was like, 92 yards and no flags touchdown and i'm like yes you just think because if immediately as soon as you see him going you think okay is there a flag mm -hmm. exactly. oh god is there a flag and then that's what nance said in his call no flags 92 yards touchdown and you're like oh man this we're gonna do it this is it mm -hmm. we're starting the game off like this mm -hmm. like this is our day this is like this is going to this is real right and oh my then, god! And then the Colts' first uh, series. What happened? Interception! Happens? Interception! Interception! Indeed. Um, God, who had the pick? Uh, that's a good question. It wasn't Daniel Manning. Um, it was Chris Harris. Okay, yeah, Chris Harris gets a pick. Who was running with Devin on the touchdown? By the way, mm -hmm. on special teams. And we're gonna just trade Chris Harris for nothing after this game. Just. Kind of like we did Thomas Jones for nothing. Imagine that. Um, and that, that's part of our chemistry, you know, problem there. You trade two of your stud players. Chris, Chris Harris had a was an up-and-coming player there. Yeah, he sure fucking was. Yeah, and it was a good safety, and we trade him for nothing, trade trade Thomas for nothing. Mm -hmm. As I've argued with you about this before, uh, Benson is going to have, like, two carries here and get hurt and is missing the rest of the game in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. So I know Thomas's story is – Hey, don't take me out. I get it, but like, we kind of we're just barely taken out because Benson's out the rest of the game with a knee. So it is the Thomas Jones show. He had that one large run of forty some yards in the first quarter, but they they shut him down the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. Part of it's because uh, Rex couldn't throw in the rain, and I guess they knew it. But in spite of that, uh, it's seven to nothing, and uh, they throw it. Reggie Wayne catches a deep touchdown on Burns Daniel Manning. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think they missed the extra point or something because it's seven to six. Right. And then Rex hits Moose and Muhammad for a touchdown, and we're up 14 to six. We have an eight-point lead in this game. Right. And then it, that's when everything goes bad. You know, Prince comes out at, at halftime playing Purple Rain in the rain, which should have been cool, but the Bears are either losing at that point or on the verge of losing. So it's like I don't even – I can't even enjoy Prince. Mm-hmm. And – then in the fourth quarter, it's 23-17, but we still got a shot. We're still down six. God damn it. Like, Arizona, don't forget Arizona. Mm -hmm. And the guy that would be a future bear pretty quickly, Kelvin Hayden, I think it was Kelvin Hayden, intercepts Rex and takes it back to the house. 23-17 becomes 29-17. And that's the final score. It was heartbreaking um, because that game was tailor-made for the Chicago Bears. We had on Thomas Jones here at the Barroom Network, and he he shared his frustration. And then two days later, he was on the Rich Eisen show, and uh, this is what he said. It, it started raining right before the game, so yeah. I'm like, "This is our game." Uh, you had, you know, that's what we did. We we you know we ran the ball, and we played defense, and they just made more plays than us, and we turned the ball over too much, and. 
And, and we even had a shot at the end. I think that's what makes it worse. Sometimes it's best to get blown out because then it's like, well, you know, we didn't have a chance. But then you're at the end of the game. You're down five. You're driving. This is like we, we're going to be one of those historic Super Bowl teams that comes back, comes from behind in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I'm, I, I look up in there and I see this guy, this is a pick six, guy's running towards me. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. So um, yeah, it's 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 devastating, man. It's it's devastating. You know, all the fans on social media. You know, I stay in contact with fans on social media and, and Chicago Bears fans and Jets fans and the, and the Bears fans. That's the one thing. Um, I just did an interview uh, with with Bears Barroom uh, two days ago, mm -hmm. and we still talk about it. And that was in '07. The Rich Eisen Show. That uh, you know his his hurt. I think is something that we could all feel um, yeah. the pain and you know, you don't get those opportunities frequently, man. And when you get to the Super Bowl and you start by scoring a touchdown on the opening kickoff, and then on the next possession, you get an interception. There's just no reason we should have lost that game. And no. I do blame lovey a little bit. You know, he, his mantra was run the ball, run the ball. Well, he only ran the ball like 20 times and the Colts ran it 40 sometimes. And it's like he was out coached by Tony Dungy with His those. Mentor. Yeah, exactly. With those weather conditions, the way they were, they should have just continued to pound the football on the ground and not expose Rex with his or small hands. And I, I honestly believe you put greasy in, in the third quarter because it's clear Rex is struggling really badly. I just feel like a greasy keep running. If you have Greasy in there, maybe they have to respect his arm more or something. Maybe, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Grossman's arm was fantastic. That was one of his strengths. But he's having a, a tough day in the rain, though. He, he was. There's no doubt about it. I just feel like Greasy didn't do anything all season. It just felt like it would have been a a um, uh, a panic move. You know, stick with the guy who got you there. Stick with, you know, he, he said well, Think it. about this. If Let's say this was the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Game seven in Cleveland. You had the rain in Cleveland that day too in the World Series. Mm -hmm. It's delayed. I don't. I don't remember. I think Chapman ends up closing it out for you, which makes me so fucking jealous. Being the Reds fan, and that's where he should have been forever. Yes. But let's just say it was your starter. Yeah. Whoever. I just hypothetically, whomever. Mm -hmm. and your guy has a twenty-two win season, but it's game seven, and he's getting smoked. This is the guy that brought you there. But shit, they're hitting. They're, he's not his day. You go to the bullpen. Mm -hmm. You have to go to the pen. Like, if this is your ace, but it's just not his day, you can't. It's game seven, man. You you can't just let your whole season go down the drain because your guy was good in August. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so in the same scenario, if it appears that Rex is, just doesn't have it. I wish I, I'm not trying to you know, say, oh, I'm better, smarter, anybody, because I'm not. But the, that first interview that Thomas was on, I don't know if that's the one he's referencing on Bears Hour Live mm -hmm. on the network. I kept texting Phil. I was like, At, please ask him what he thought about maybe swapping Rex for Greasy. Mm -hmm. But uh, Phil never looked at his phone. It's not like he ignored me. At least I don't think he, he told me he didn't, and I have no reason to disbelieve him. Mm -hmm. And then he was on again, which I believe was on 100 Proof the second time. Yes. Uh, no, and, the second time he was on uh, Phil's um, uh, Bears Hour live show. Oh, uh, that was the second one was Bears Hour live? Yes. First one was okay. 100 Proof. Right? All right. Well, I listened to both of those. And the one time that he was 
on Phil's show, which I liked. I liked yeah. him and 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 his. I won't say the name or whatever, but he had a co-host that I enjoyed as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I was blowing them both up, saying, "Hey, man, ask him, ask him what he thinks of what would have happened if Greece." But no, nobody saw my text. You know, like I don't, I don't think that they ignored me. I don't I have no reason to think that. <laughs> but I wish that we could have asked Thomas that in the theory, what he thought maybe if Greasy to come in. I don't know. I guess we'll never know. But I just think again, if Tommy's in there raising hell up front, and then you got Mike Brown in the back who always is around the ball making plays. If they're not hurt, mm -hmm. they probably they. I mean, because that whole day, if you look at it, the defense wasn't good. Defense wasn't good. and But the thing was, it's not like – well, they had the one breakdown with the touchdown from Peyton Manning. But Peyton didn't do much. He got the MVP just because of his name that day. Mm -hmm. the, the day we couldn't stop Joseph Adai. And, what's the other? They had two backs. Adai and the other one were both killing us. Uh, can't remember the other back, but both of them – Either one should have been the MVP. Do you know who the other back was? Yeah, it was um, Dominic Rhodes. Yeah, they were killing us. Both of them were catching screen passes and running the ball on us. I don't know what their final stats were, but th at the end of the day, those two guys are the reason that the Colts won in, in conjunction with Rex's pick at the end. Right. When uh, Tooch has just joined us, and Tooch and I were at Soldier Field, and we got to talk to Alex Brown, and Alex said – you know, Rex didn't beat us. Uh, uh, the, the play calling wasn't the yeah. problem. It was the defense. It was that the fact that we couldn't stop those two running backs. Uh, and I think he, Alex was sober at that point when he told us that, right, Tooch? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, <Dominic>. Tooch. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, he definitely says so. We couldn't stop the run game of the Colts. Yeah. And Look, yeah, Rose had true. 113 yards rushing. Adai had 77 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. A die had 66 yards receiving as well. Mm -hmm. I so bet those you two guys ate us alive. I bet you that uh, Lovey kicks himself for not running the ball more in that game. Um, now, the, now I do have to say this: um, the Colts had almost twice the amount of plays run. I mean, they were controlling the ball. Um, but primarily because they were running the ball effectively. And that defense, you know, as that season wore on, uh, because of injuries to the Bears' defense, I, I noticed that the defense was just not playing like it was at its peak during the season, like against the, the Cardinals and stuff. So that had to be part, part of the issue. Two how are you, my friend? Brand. I'm good. I, I didn't want to come in. I didn't want to interrupt uh, – uh, Dan's story hour, you know. So yeah, it's, it's he's he's done a phenomenal job. I'm sorry, gentlemen. No, 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 it's great. A phenomenal it, job. Great storytelling, it, it, Dan. It's way better than drag queen story hour. Are you in drag, Dan? <laughs> just, just oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> what is this about? <laughs> no, I'm too. I have a hard enough time looking good as a male, so I can't. That <laughs> oh, was great, man. I, I I couldn't do anything. I was listening. You know, it's just like. Memory, memory lane. It was awesome. Yeah, we're gonna have to do a part two because I got to go in a half hour, and we've only done Lovey's first three seasons. He's there for nine. I I agree, and we may need to do three parts on this because uh, there's so much more to talk about Lovey Smith. And really, what gave me the idea to to look back on this, and we've talked about this before, Dan, uh, about doing a retrospective on certain years, uh, but. 
listening to Greg Gabriel talk about why Cedric Benson was chosen and his insistence that, you know, a, a running back be chosen and ended up being Cedric Benson. To me, you know, I love Lovey Smith. I really do. But he just made some bad calls, particularly when it came to offensive personnel. It just made mistakes, and uh, and that and the insecurity with Ron Rivera is another big part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by forcing Ron out and hiring Babbage mm-hmm. as your defensive coordinator. That, I mean, I, we probably have time to veer over to 07 if you want. Yeah, let's do that real quickly. But let me just say, first of all, I don't know if it was insecurity as much as. Lovey has always been driven by taking care of his buddies. And I think it was more that than anything. And he and Rex, uh, excuse me, he and Ron Rivera, but it heads uh, occasionally. And so I think that's what was the move behind Babbage, but that's something maybe we could talk about later. You want to uh, touch on 2007 before you get out of here? Yeah. Oh seven. Uh, it was, it was a weird year, you know, but you, you just have these hopes that, Okay, well, we lost the. You you made the reference to eighty four, eighty five, and you just hope maybe that this was eighty four, mm-hmm. and oh you seven know, will be eighty five. Like maybe this is going to be the year. And uh, sorry, I was just doing some things in my bag there. Um, the off season was like, well, it's pretty much clear that Lance Briggs is gone. You know, he was drafted in oh three. His oh three, four, five, six. His rookie deals up. He's leaving. There are all these reports he's going to San Francisco or he's going back out west and he's gone. And, uh, Pe- you know, Peanut and Vasher are both up. And it's just like, damn, like uh, the defense is going to be ta- – is Mike Brown going to make it back? And what about Tommy? And then, uh, you know, Tommy comes back. He's he's not the same. Mike Brown, we don't know and because we'll foreshadow. I'll come back to that San Diego injury week one. Mm-hmm. But – Suddenly, I'm I'm I remember I was getting my oil changed, and uh, no 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 I was getting an inspection sticker on my vehicle. Is this a sex and story? I just got back into the vehicle and turned it on the Dan Patrick show. God, what what what's the point? The dude just wondering yeah, if you're getting your oil checked, changed but... in an inspection. I no 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 into the sex but life. I back into and Dan, I turned Dan Patrick on on the radio. And Lance is somehow re-signed with the Bears because mm-hmm. they said he was gone. I remember even listening to Erlacher on the radio uh, earlier that offseason saying how much he loves Lance and that's his boy, but it's a business and he's probably not going to be back. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly Lance is back. You're like, okay, Lance is locked up, man. He signed like a six-year deal. He's not going anywhere. And then they managed to keep Peanut and Vasher. Like, shit. So, okay, Ron Rivera's gone. We've got Babich at D.C., but we've managed to hang on to Tillman and Vasher played so well prior to coming back. It was never the same after that. Tommy's never the same after his injury. And Mike Brown's back, so okay. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, Thomas Jones is shipped out to the Jets, mm-hmm. uh, which is no good and ends up, you know, we're giving the ball to Benson now. Okay, but Thomas is traded for nothing. Chris Harris is traded for nothing. Mm-hmm. He went to Carolina. Big moves there that, that didn't work out. Mark Anderson's another player we should highlight because Mark Anderson had a phenomenal rookie year, like 10 sacks in 06. Not the same guy in 07 or 08. He's just not the – he never played well again mm-hmm. after the one year, the splash year, because we make him a starter the next year. 
And so we got Benson on offense and, and we've got Rex and uh, uh, starting. And here we go. Opening day, 07. It's in San Diego. We lose, I think, 10 to 3. And I remember Mike Brown uh, getting hurt, and I just knew it. I saw it, and they were like the Fox announcers were saying it was just like an ankle or something. I was like, I know he's gone. And, uh, and I was watching, uh, you know, Comcast Sports Chicago after the game and seeing Mike cry, you know, and this presser. Like, I was like, look at this fucking guy's passion. He's worked so hard to come back every time, mm-hmm. and he's out again. And it just, it was a sickening feeling. And then the, we lose to San Diego, come back home. Hester has a kick return touchdown with pigeons in the background against the, the Chiefs, which is fun because you can, they were always showing that, uh, that run back in slow motion with like two pigeons following him. Mm-hmm. And they beat Kansas City at home. So they're one and one. And then comes primetime football, national Sunday night football against the Cowboys. And, uh, Tony Romo's coming back to Illinois, and, and Romo's a far better broadcaster than he was as a player, but uh, Romo has a great game that night, and Rex doesn't. And so then they make the hook. They throw Rex on the bench and start Greasy, and God, the f- first game Greasy comes in in week four. They're in Detroit. They have a big lead, and they, they give up like – 24 points in the fourth quarter to lose to Detroit at Ford Field after having the lead. It was just a fucking meltdown if there's ever been a meltdown. They gave up 34 points in that fourth quarter. Oh, God. I that's Yeah, I, I knew it was something. I had a girlfriend named Lauren, and uh, I was so mad that day that like I said, I think that really legitimately led to her wanting to break up with me because <laughs> uh, she's like, you, you're – too emotionally invested in this shit, you know. <laughs> I was never mean to her, but uh, we legitimately broke up later that week. Mm. He broke up with me on an answering machine while I was at my buddy's mom's wake. Oh no! Oh, like I think on Thursday. <laughs> That's terrible. That is terrible. <laughs> so then uh, the con- the seesaw continues. So now we're one and three, and it looks bad, right? Mm-hmm. But they go to Green Bay and they win. Mm. Once again, a primetime affair. They go up there, and uh, I think he greasy threw the to Clark, Desmond Clark, on the touchdown. Um, it was this is the oh, I got the wrong uh, what you call it up. Hold on, a second. yeah, Des 34 yards for the game winner with two minutes to go. Was, was yeah. it this Olsen's rookie year? Yes, it is. And now he's calling the Super Bowl this year, but oh, only for one year because Brady takes your spot after that. Yeah. But um, yeah. So uh, twenty-seven to twenty, the Bear. Oh, maybe we're back in it. Maybe we're back in it. So now we're two and three. In comes Minnesota. Adrian Peterson has the game of his life. Mm. Uh, it's well over two hundred. Let me look at it. So I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, twenty carries for two hundred and twenty-four yards and three touchdowns. In spite of this. Minnesota has a lead, and uh, they're up two touchdowns late. Greasy throws a 33-yard touchdown to Moussa Muhammad, and then with a minute 38 to go, Greasy goes 81 yards to Devin Hester. Mm-hmm. We got ourselves a tie game. But, but Ryan Longwell <laughs> connects from 55 to beat us. We lose 34-31. We're now 2-4. and four. Mm. So every time, uh, every time Greasy would do something positive – because the next week he does, you know, he loses there. 
He comes back the next week. It's an amazing game. They're at Philadelphia. They're two and four. They get the ball 97 yards away. It's like Elway against Cleveland in 86. Mm -hmm. And then the headsets go out. So all this is on Greasy. Like he can't hear any Ron Turner or Lovey or anybody. But with one timeout and 97 yards to go with under two minutes, he has the wherewithal to take us down the field. He connects with Barian. He connects with Hester uh, several times. And then at the end of the, the end of the game, he connects with Musa and Muhammad. Touchdown with like less than 20 seconds to go. And whole shit, well, we've won 19 to 16. We're back in it, right? We're three and four. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, then come the Lions to Soldier Field. So Greasy has the one game. It's good, a bad game, a good game. And then he's going to have a bad game again against Detroit. And we lose 16 to seven at Soldier Field. We're down to three and five. So then they go to Oakland and Greasy gets hurt and Rex comes in and Rex wins the game off the bench. He connects with uh, Barian from 59 yards out to solidify the game. The Bears went 17 to six, four and five. We're we're getting back in it, Aldo. Then we go to Seattle. Rex has a terrific game. Cedric Benson had a touchdown in that game that was like 40, 50 yards. Things are going well. Uh, But uh, at the end, uh, Seattle holds us off and wins 30 to 23. We're down to four and six. And then, wouldn't you know it, future Chicago Bear Jay Cutler comes to Soldier Field. (laughs) Future Chicago Bear Eddie Royals in Soldier Field and future Chicago Bear Brandon Marshall, all with the 07 Denver Broncos. They come into Soldier Field, a great game, uh, goes into overtime. Cutler is phenomenal that day. Let me look, pull up his his uh, stats. Uh, Jay against us, well, his completion percentage wasn't that good, but he was 17 of 31 for 302 yards and two touchdowns. To me, I, I was just, he was throwing the ball all over the joint, so I was really impressed. Well, he had but, a couple of big explosive plays, a 68-yarder to Brandon Marshall and a 65-yarder to Andre Hall, and then a 41-yarder to the tight end, Tony Scheffler. So, yeah, Scheffler caught a touchdown later in the game, too. Yeah. So, but Denver's in control of the game, 34 to 20. But Todd Sauerbrunn, former Chicago Bear, you could call him a bust because I certainly would, from West Virginia University, is running his mouth in the paper all week about how he will kick to Devin Hester and doesn't give a fuck. Well, that's fun. Third quarter, he punted to Devin Hester, 75 yards to the house. It tied it at 13. Mm. And then... Uh, Cutler drives them again, and they score, and they lead 20-13. to 13. And then on the kickoff, he kicks it to Hester. 88 yards. It's a touchdown. We're tied at 20. And then Cutler, 68 yards to Brandon Marshall. Touchdown, 27-20. And then to Tony Scheffler, touchdown, Cutler. It's 34-20 Denver. But what would happen then is AP would score for us. And then on fourth and goal, at the end of the game, with under 30 seconds to go, it's fourth and goal, and Rex threw a, thir- a three-yard touchdown pass to Bernard Berrien, making it 34-34. We're going to overtime, and overtime Rex threw a-, a pass to Desmond Clark that went like 40 yards, got us in field goal range. Robbie connects the field goal. It's good. It's 37-34, but with, uh, we have high hopes because Rex has come back in, led us to a win in Oakland. He played good in Seattle. They should have won. And now he's led us to uh, a come-from-behind win 
late in the game against the Broncos. So we're five and six. So maybe we're in it, right? It looks like, you know, there's a shot that maybe we can rebound. Let me go. I think they go to Washington the next week. Let me go back to that screen on a Thursday night game. No, no, no. That's right. They've got Eli first. Okay. So Eli comes in. I remember back then, uh, what's his name? I always talk about how much I like him. Uh, he worked for ESPN radio. He worked for ESPN back in the day. He did the uh, Comcast sport, Pat Boyle. Oh, Pat Boyle. Pat Boyle said, this Giants team is absolute garbage and had no reason, had did no business winning this game, which was true at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, they beat us 21 to 16 in a game the Bears should have won. But that sparked a, a, a winning streak from the Giants. They were five and seven. They don't lose another game the rest of the season. They beat New England in the Super Bowl. <laughs> they literally got hot at Soldier Field and went to a fucking championship and beat a team that hadn't lost the whole season in the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 42. That started here. But now it's five and seven. Things is, uh-oh. They got a Thursday night game in Washington. Rex takes a cheap shot. He gets carded. It's a dirty hit. They don't even throw a fucking flag. David Haw used my complaint about that in his newspaper article or his his bag or whatever. He, he reprinted what I said, mm -hmm. uh, but later would block me on Twitter for fucking no reason whatsoever. <laughs> but um, then they see they go to Minnesota. This is when they turn it over to Kyle. Uh, that's a Monday night game. They lose. They're 20 2013. But Kyle would win the last two games of the year against a cold, cold game against Green Bay that Favre said later, that's the coldest game I've ever played. I wish I wouldn't even been out there. <laughs> but they're going to go to the NFC Championship, so good for Green Bay and Mike McCarthy. They beat us. We beat them 35-7. Final game of the year, Kyle uh, outduels New Orleans, 33-25. to And the disappointing season ends at 7-9. and It's just all over the place. So you can't stay consistent. But for some reason, going into 08, they're like, well, Kyle's a starter now. I mean, he play, I mean, he did beat Green Bay New Orleans at the end, mm -hmm. but I don't know why he was just given the job. And it, it's like, it's like, sorry, Rex, we don't believe in you at all. Rex got one start in 08. That was it. Yeah, that was – it was interesting why they decided to just pull the plug on Rex. And I think a lot of it just had to do with his – you know, he probably was not that guy who – football was the most important thing in his life. You know, like you said earlier in the show, he was talking about partying on new years and stuff. And there were all these stories that he was fucking every, every girl that would come up to him. And, uh, and I, I think Jerry Angelo, I'll talk to Greg about that. I think Jerry Angelo was fed up at that point with Rex Grossman. Uh, well, um, they brought him back in a one year deal after 07. That is true. But what were the options? I mean, what could they do? do to get him uh, uh, to 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 get a a quarterback i don't think there were many options which is why after that season the 2008 season they decided to um uh, uh uh target jay cutler well i think again part of that is kyle lorton could have made his future here it, again I, i've said this on air before in 08 we're skipping way ahead uh, but at the last game of the season they were at the texans and this parallel, John Gruden getting fired because for the Bears to even have a shot, mm -hmm. Tampa had to lose their last, four, I think, four games. Mm -hmm. And they do. 
and that's why Gruden gets fired because he, he like I said, he just wins one of those games. Tampa makes the playoffs, mm-hmm. and he loses them all. And the Bears were winning during that time, so now they're in the driver's seat. If they just win Week 17 in Houston, they make the playoffs, and Kyle shits the bed in that game. So I don't remember who made the play. I think Tampa still made it then. Yeah, they did because they lost to the Giants in Tampa. Right. Because the Giants won the Super Bowl. The Giants won in Tampa. Mm -hmm. They won in Dallas. And then they won in Green Bay in the championship game and then beat New England in Arizona for the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So, but the point is the Bears could have been there. The Bears, they had their shot. Kyle didn't do well. Wait a minute, I'm conflating. This is 08. I just was talking about 07. So 08, they lost to Houston. I don't know who made the playoffs in the spot, but it was the it was the one and end for the Bears. I, I'm sorry, I conflated. That was the 07 Giants, not the 08 Giants. Okay. But Gruden did lose those games at the end to get Tampa fired. Mm-hmm. Or oh, I'm sorry, Tampa lost those games to get Gruden fired at the end. Right. But again, it was Bears in Houston to win. Orton doesn't do well. And so in the offseason, they're like, man, we've got to get a quarterback. So they trade two number ones and a third. And Kyle Orton to get Jay Cutler and the draft pick that would be Johnny Knox. Hmm. A trade that I loved on April 2nd of 2009. I, I That trade, um, I still had faith in Kyle Orton being able to assume the number one quarterback. And, I, you know, he was, what, a third or fourth round draft pick? Fourth round pick. Fourth round pick. Those guys take a while to develop. And now I know he played in his rookie season, but that was good that he got that experience. He learned how to manage a football game. They won a ton of games under him. He, he was not a great quarterback, but, hell, after the, the Bears gave up on Kyle Orton, he went on to Denver and had a couple of good seasons. And um, I, I hate giving away so much draft capital. Uh, and Jay Cutler at that point, I didn't like him. He was uh, always pouting, he, you know, a typical Bears fan. I hate Jay Cutler. Oh, they just traded him to the Bears. Hey, all right. I like Jay Cutler. <laughs> <laughs> I liked him, man, watching him throw the rock against us. And like I said, I watched him on a Thursday night game with Denver in 08, where he threw for over 400 yards against the Browns. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, this guy's got a fucking arm that I'm salivating over. Yeah, he, he did. I mean, he had all the skills. You just wondered about his behavior issues. And then I learned that he had diabetes. And, of course, you know, we all know about diabetes can make you moody. And uh, and so I started making excuses for him um, and, and really believed they could win with Jay Cutler. Uh, but uh, he, he never demonstrated great leadership ability for whatever reason, whether it was his health issues or whether just that he's a, he's a fucking asshole, which I'm kind of leaning more towards towards that, uh, given what he has said and done in, in his post career. But uh, it, it's interesting, and we'll have to pick this up, uh, uh, Dan, because you've got another ten minutes with us, and I want to make yeah. sure uh, that we tackle anything that you've seen on the tube uh, that you want to share with us. Uh, the only thing I watched, I didn't, uh, I was off all weekend, which was an aberration. And I went to a concert and, uh, again, it was just cause it's West Virginia, man. They gotta be censored. It's just, it's such bullshit. Like somebody actually said, are you having an effing good time? <laughs> Come on. It's a rock show. Like if they want their kids here, then don't bring your fucking children. Like the, I get like censoring radio and things, the public airwaves. Okay. I'm good with that. But at a concert. 
concert, it should be fair game to be an adult. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it was it was okay, whatever. But the only thing I watched really TV wise was the premiere of season four of Westworld. Oh, and I forgot that started. After season really, four, after yeah. really contemplate the meaning of stuff. Uh, maybe just read a review to kind of go against what I saw. Um, <laughs> but it was good. I could tell that's going to be a good show. It is the story, like, for example, when season three ended, Evan Rachel Wood's character, uh, you think, is dead. Right? Her name, her character is Dolores. Mm-hmm. But in season four, she's there, but they're calling her Christina or Christine or something. Mm. So we don't know how she's there. We don't know why she's there or anything yet, but that's cool. Like, you know, that's, it was the first episode, but she's in it with a different name. And uh, so I don't know where the story is going yet at all, but that's okay. For the opener, uh, not knowing the plot or anything really yet, it was still it was still good. Well, there's just one episode, right, Dan? Right. Yeah, it just started on Sunday night. Okay. So, um, anything else you want to share before you get out of here, uh, Mr. Aguirre? No, I'm sorry that I talked too much on this. I didn't oh, give a fair. Dude, that was freaking awesome. Yeah, we were all very, very entertained. <laughs> I was just yeah, amazed, I'm sorry, I, man. I, I, I was, I was like, you know, can I just say I was, I was sitting back. I was like, I was so happy listening to Dan tell the stories. I was like, Dan, he's a treasure. He really is. I'm telling Thank you. Man. I, I was like amazed, man. When he gets into 2007, 2008, 2008, I think was Matt Forte's rookie season, like 1,200 yeah. yards. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know I, Matt Forte was a second round draft pick. I can't remember what happened to our first round draft pick. Did we trade back or did we trade it away? It was a uh, Cutler trade, right? No, uh, Cutler came in 09, I think, right? Okay. So I th- was I it think Chris we'd... Williams in 08? Chris Williams, yeah. Was it? Okay. And, yeah. All right, and he got he got injured. Yeah, <laughs> they drafted him injured. Right, he was injured. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Stan Thomas, Chris Williams, like yeah. same old, same old. But and uh, our current guy, who's they should have, you know, I hate to say this, but they should have. I I could have seen them trading up, you know, maybe trading up to uh, for uh, the third overall pick for Matt Ryan would have been too pricey. But even Joe Flacco to me would have been uh, better because they had they picked um, their guy. This is the do I got this right? The, the 2008 draft. The Bears picked Chris Williams at number 14, so they bypassed Joe Flacco, who went 18th uh, overall. Joe Flacco would have been a good Bears quarterback because he look at what he did with the Ravens that has similar yeah, defense. I agree. So you know it would yep. it, it would we you wouldn't have lost uh, high draft picks, uh, you wouldn't have had to pay all that fucking money like we did for Jay. It was yep. Jerry Angelo's That's bad move point. there? I think you but, know Bill Belichick said like Joe Flacco's one guy that would always beat find a way to beat the Patriots. Mm-hmm. You know he'd, he'd scramble. He he, I mean he wasn't really known as a scramble. He would get you you know nine ten yards and pick up a first down, which is his legs go out of bounds and stuff. Those are the plays that he, you know, killed the Patriots with to extend drives and stuff. And mm-hmm. then the, the Ravens' defense was so awesome, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, it would have yeah, been great. You know, it would've, that would have been a great pick, although I mean, of course, 
anything's better than Chris Williams. But yeah, that would have been bad. awesome, man. Flacco had a tremendous game in the playoffs in Denver in their Super Bowl season that they he won the Super Bowl, but it was a two-overtime game where he outdueled Peyton Manning in Denver. Mm-hmm. And like they won because of Flacco, too. It was Flacco was throwing the ball. They couldn't be stopped against John Fox and the Denver Broncos that day. And then uh, they won the Super Bowl against San Francisco, if you remember the power failure in the Superdome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great game. <laughs> and Ka- but Kaepernick led him on a big comeback. Like, San Francisco was down, and that was the Harbaugh brothers against each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kaepernick brought San Francisco back, but the, and they barely lose, and – I don't know, but Flacco had a really great postseason that year, and and I guess age caught up to him, and he just never could play as well as he did that one year again. But maybe, to your point, if they draft Joe there, then they don't have to make the Cutler trade. Right, and, you know, who knows? I mean, we can always look back, and and I like doing that. You know, man, I I like to go back and – Look at this draft. Well, yeah. they shouldn't have drafted this guy. It should have been. But hindsight is twenty twenty. I like playing that stupid game, even though it's not fair to the people actually making the picks. Um, I wanted to uh, talk to Tooch. What was the name of the movie Paul Schrader made? I'm, I'm forgetting the uh, title. The, the card counter. The card counter. You haven't seen that, right, Dan? No. All right, uh, that's your did, homework assignment. Did, did you watch it all though? I did. Okay. I did. What what do you think? Just just one. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it really was phenomenal. It is a little slow at times, but uh, it is a standing story, and it's got these. Uh, it, it's basically really a political story about this guy who is an Abu Ghraib, Ghraib and yeah. uh, he's part of the torture team for the United States uh, service. Yeah. And then when he comes back, he becomes a card counter and starts winning at poker. But his his life is definitely different. He's uh, he's paying penance, uh, uh, so to speak, for yeah. the crimes that he committed. It's a very complex story, but I really, really liked it. I, I posted on Twitter that I liked it, and a couple of people say, yeah, it was too slow for me, and I can understand that. But if you stick with it and are really 100% focused on it, I think there's a lot of rewards in it. Yeah, they don't make movies like this anymore. Exactly. You know, this is like a throwback to the 70s type. That that whole Rat Pack was Scorsese and Schrader mm-hmm. and, and, and the like. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was he's Paul Schrader just doing what he does. Mm-hmm. You exactly. know, I, I, I'm dying to ask you know your opinion about some of the scenes i don't want to though because dan's you know hasn't seen it yet i'll but. try to watch it tomorrow night tonight i'm going to attempt to watch uh the january 6th hearings from today mm. but i'll try to watch that at work tomorrow night if at all plausible dan do you know somebody named jody poor oh, p-o-o-r-e yes i do uh she says uh she writes in the chat that she's here for dan's voice and she's got three smiley faces for you i am a, a big fan of hers <laughs> You want to tell us anything else? No, that's it. I mean, I've not done anything filthy with her. Or you haven't? Like that. I, I like her, though. I like her. You haven't done anything filthy? Are you sure? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to? Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do to her if you got her alone in a, in a room with just a, a fading light bulb going on and off? Make her watch some games from the 85 <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you would. <laughs> That's foreplay for you, right? <laughs> there you go. Dennis McKinnon, now I'm hard. <laughs> uh, how awesome is that? <laughs> um, 
Anything regarding the current Bears you want to touch on before you vamoosh, uh, Dan? Uh, there hasn't been much news, but um, sorry, guys. They didn't like the card counter. It was a complete ripoff of the movie Hard 8, and the Abu Ghraib backstory was ridiculous. I disagree with you, Stephen. Me, me too. I, I appreciate your point of view on that. Um, anything regarding the current Bears uh, you want to touch on before you vamoosh, Dan? Oh, I saw uh, someone got arrested. And I, I hate to say this, I sound like I'm not a fan, but I was like, who? <laughs> oh, so the Bears wow. had a linebacker that was arrested. Right, Matt like, Adams. Matt, Matt Adams, I think. Is, Matt is his first name, I believe. Yeah, Adams is his who, last Has he played with us? Or is mm-hmm. he just a, no, guy? he's a Colt. He's the Eberflus guy from the Colts. Yeah, I can't. Oh, I was uh, going to say, who was this fucking guy? I didn't know him. Yeah. What was, what was the charge? What was he arrested for? Was it drunk driving? Was it drunk driving? Yeah, it may have been. You it know, was drunk driving, but it's too bad that you know. Do you not? Do you do you say that's another strike against this new regime? You know, they've had the bad luck with Logan Joby. They underbid on the offensive linemen from Buffalo. Uh, they Mr. had Ogan the Joby with uh, Pringle, yep. uh, which. Doesn't look like a big deal, but nonetheless, it's a blemish. And now this blemish is gun possession. Uh, Nomad lets us know. Right. That's it. Does does this He's worry like the you? Next Tank Johnson. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, and Ogan Joby signs with Pittsburgh, and so if Ogan yep. Joby yep. goes out and gets ten sacks with the Steelers, I'm really going to be pissed off um, that they weren't able to work that out somehow. And and so, are you guys concerned about this, or it is just what it is? Is he going to be still a bear? Are they cutting him? Or I don't think that there's. He hasn't been cut. He's still on the roster. Man, we're we're thin at linebacker or experienced linebacker, at least as it is. I would mm-hmm. I, I would be surprised if he was cut, but you know, I don't know. Maybe Poles wants to send a message. Mm-hmm. But uh, did Dan uh, hear the story? I I get. I mean, I hate to use Eric Lambert as a reference point. <laughs> But uh, he had a little story about Erlocker said that uh, Lovey Smith wanted to trade him. He was on a Bussin' with the Boys podcast and uh, said that he thought uh, uh, he had just signed the big contract with the Bears. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lovey didn't, he, he heard later on that Lovey didn't think he would fit in Lovey's defense. And uh, uh, Erlocker re- said that? Reason prevailed. Yeah. It was, uh, it says Erlocker was skeptical when Lovey Smith was hired, and Erlocker didn't realize immediately, but soon discovered that Smith might have been skeptical about him too. Erlocker hmm. uh, was already one of the best defensive players in the league when Lovey Smith arrived. Mm-hmm. Uh, likeliest explanation is the defensive system. Smith was bringing the Tampa 2 scheme. Those who know the scheme pinpoint three positions as vital to its success three technique, weak side linebacker, and free safety. And uh, middle linebacker isn't viewed as essential, but man, we all agree that Erlocker changed that middle linebacker position because he was able to cover the, you know, sprint back and cover the deep middle, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, you know, well, Smith wondered if Brian Erlocker was worth the nine year, $56 million extension he signed in 2003. Uh, he thought he thought that trading Erlocker for money and draft picks gained in trade could be used elsewhere on uh, his team, but someone talked Lovey into. Uh, seeing reason because the trade never happened. You just j- uh, jarred my memory because when we were talking about 2004, I couldn't recall. I was like, I think he was hurt that year, but 
it seems like now Erlacher got hurt in the first practice of Lovey's tenure. Like he, he hurt his hamstring. I think you're right. And like that whole season, he was back and forth. Like, you know, like he's going to try this week and maybe he'll, he'll play. Maybe he won't, but he like the whole old four season, he basically wasn't himself. Hmm. Jody says that you're a liar. <laughs> what? <laughs> she says lies, Dan lies. No, I don't believe they're lies, but I do need to go, unfortunately. Uh, so say something, house- say something sexy to Jody before you leave. Uh, I don't know what to say. I'm gonna be a gentleman on this. That was the important thing with the podcast. Is you're gonna be gone for the next two weeks, right? Um, I might do one more show before I leave for two weeks. So okay, so I, either way, you're there's two shows you're gonna miss. Correct. Okay, so maybe you're back next Tuesday. Maybe you're not. So are we? Are Tooch and I doing shows, or are we taking time off? No, Tooch and you are doing shows. If you yeah. can work out the technical stuff, uh, if, if you wanna. I, I might even have to have some sex before we go on the air, Dan. <laughs> we can bring Aaron on, of course. <laughs> Aaron, uh, Jordan, maybe even Joey Mandel. And where's Mr. Zimmerman? Yep, I'd like to have uh, Mr. Parisi come on and talk some Hanover Park Little League with me. <laughs> if he watches the show, if you're listening, yeah. Joey. That, that'll be really interesting. <laughs> Well, guys, it's uh, been fun, and uh, unfortunately, gotta, I have to go. Go yep. save some uh, lives, and uh, we'll talk to you. Uh, you and I will talk uh, tomorrow probably, and uh, we'll uh, figure out the schedule. All right. All righty. So there goes Dan Aguirre, and in comes JTS. How are you, Jordan? Ooh, there he is. Good evening, gentlemen. Sexy, handsome fox, too. <laughs> That's enough. That's enough. I know I butchered your name again. So, uh, how, how do you pronounce it again? Silvera. Silvera. Just, Silvera. No, I'm ready for you to just call me Jordan S or something. Or, you know, ATS is what I'm going to call you. <laughs> Dude, I got I to gotta first off just say Dan is a savant, a wizard, a master. Isn't he, just isn't he something? Yeah, he is uh, really, uh, I mean, and what's interesting is, you know, sometimes he'll say, I remember I took this girl out to, uh, on a date uh, the night before the Bears beat the Steelers. <laughs> and, you know, he relates a lot of stuff to his own personal life. It's just extraordinary. <laughs> I see Cliff says, hey, hey, Cliff. Good evening. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm excited to talk. Whatever area about Lovey Smith you'd like. I mean it when I say I'm just a diehard Lovey Smith fan. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sit here and steal Dan shine. I don't know if I could ever do no, the justice no. that he did, but I love. Here's Lovey. what I like you to do, uh, Jordan, is because we didn't we didn't get even through half of uh, of Lovey's career, so we'd like to maybe get you back to talk about the Tampa Bay. So what I'd like you to do now is, and and Tooch to jump in too. Let's go back over those early seasons with Lovey on the Bears, so that you guys can provide your perspectives on uh, on those early Lovey Smith years, Smith years, his rookie season, uh, the next two seasons where he looked like he was the hottest uh, coach in the NFL. What do you guys uh, recall about that? What do you guys uh, What did you guys like? What were you disappointed in? I'll throw it over to you first, Jordan. Sure. I mean, when I think about Lovey and I. I think, you know, Tucci may be able to even provide some more just analysis of a real-time roster building, things of that. But I just, I think about who he represented, the scheme he came from. For anybody not familiar, he came, kind of everybody knows him as the Tony Dungy was his mentor, but it goes beyond that. It goes back to Monty Kiffin, 
back in the true Tampa two days with the Buccaneers. And the way he was brought up and his understanding as a linebackers coach back then was we build the defense through the spine of the D. And the reason this is important is you've got a Dungy, Kiffin, Smith, Marinelli disciple in Eberflus, an acolyte. And it's built the same way. Look at the Colts. The when Lovey came in, it was this idea that, look, I need my three tech, I need my will, and I need my safety. One in the center of every single bit of the scheme. And then as soon as he got to Chicago and realized, and I mean, I'd love for you to ask Greg Gabriel this all though, but I'm sure he would concur. When he all of a sudden saw what he had in Urlacher, it unlocked the idea of, holy shit, what happens when I have Brian Urlacher, an amazing athletic Mike, to be the middle runner of that Tampa 2? What happens when all of a sudden we've got some stingy corners that are focused on taking the ball away? Right. And so I really think that that's where you saw the Tampa 2 that we all hear about, even now with Eberflux of, oh, we're just going to run this boring Tampa 2. You saw it really evolve to the next level when all of a sudden they got players like a Tommy Harris, a Tank Johnson, athletic rushers, and Ottawale Agunlie, Alex Brown, Mark Anderson, even just role players like a Hunter Hillenmeyer. I know that he was kind of the much maligned redheaded stepchild of that linebacker core, but really he filled this very specific support role. Uh, and then you look at guys like Mike Brown and Nathan Basher and Jerry Azuma, you know, uh, R.W. McCorders. I mean, it's just the list goes on and on about these killer Tim Jennings. I could just go down the list of these guys that really elevated what that scheme was. And when, the last thing I'll say before I give it over to two cheers, just when Lovey came to Chicago, as, as Dan perfectly alluded to earlier, it was dysfunction. A team that hadn't seen 500. He really restored the idea of what do you want to say? Structure, accountability, respectability, success. And mm -hmm. it wasn't perfect early, but we got there. And that was the thing that I look so fondly back to Lovey as a guy that's now seen Nagy and Fox and Tressman and everybody else that followed, where frankly, the Bears have been somewhat of a laughing stock, somewhat lacking respect in the North. And you're talking about a guy that got fired after a 10 and 6 season. Uh, it's just, I don't know, it's shocking. Mm. Yeah, that was shocking. Um, two to your thoughts. Did not deserve to be fired mm -hmm. at two, 10 and 6. It had, uh, you, know, you know, a lot of things stuck out for me, um, especially what Dan was telling the story. And you played the the uh, the coach's salary bit. He was grossly underpaid for, <laughs> for much of his Bears tenure. You know, I remember how upset I was about that, man. I was just like, this dude's winning games and 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 freaking it just perpetuated, you know, some really cemented, you know, that the uh, uh, cheap aspect of the Bears, you know, that uh, that that, you know, they really deserved the moniker of being mm -hmm. cheap after that. I was just like, come on, let's let's get this guy paid, you know. Uh, yeah, it took your team to the Super Bowl, and uh, he's still making a little over a million dollars a year. Uh, it should not, not, never have gotten to that point uh, where. Uh, the team president had to answer questions in the media about that. Um, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan made a great point. The Tampa two, you know, that was the uh, Monty Kiffin was the, uh, the architect of that defense, really the, the brainchild, you know, and it, like I said earlier, it depends on the three positions, you know, which is kind of like what we're going to be playing this year with, with Eberflus, wouldn't you say Jordan? Yes, exactly. And I mean, you're kind of leading me here into a little hint about what we're doing with their necessities, but you know, the, the big storyline when Eberflus was coming around was, oh, man, here we go again. We're just going to relaunch the levy the levy system. And I even have to admit, I was a little bit of a naysayer on Eberflus just because, to me, on an outward level, the Eberflus hire just stunk of 
the McCaskies going, what is comfortable? When was the last time that we were relevant? When we could just kind of sleep easy at night as a team that wasn't a laughing stock of the league. And so they were like, well, let's, is there any, any acolytes from Lovey? Is there any guys that kind of know that life, that system, that scheme, those tenants, the, let's just bring an Eberflus. And obviously Marinelli was too old. They weren't going to bring him in. And as much as I've kind of warmed up to that idea, you have a lot of fans that think, man, we're just going to run that boring old Tampa two where there's the honey hole shots available for the best quarterbacks in the league to take advantage of. And I mean, a little bit of a hint to where we're heading here as we kind of, as Aldo knows, as we go into bare necessities is something I really want to touch on. And I'll give a little bit of a spoiler is, if you watch Eberflus's defensive scheme, it's not that same old basic Tampa two. They'll run some cover two, they'll run some quarters, but you're seeing a ton more of cover three and cover one as they bring a strong safety down into the box. Kari Willis was that player for the Colts who just recently retired. I think that's why you saw such a high value being placed on a guy like Jaquan Brisker. And so I think that when people assume that Eberflus is this acolyte of Lovey Smith and it just means old vanilla basic defense. Sure, there's a bit of that, but the reason that Eberflus is around is because he's still got the basic bones of a functional system, but he's really figured out how to evolve it. And for even the Lovey Smith naysayers, look at what he did with the Texans last year in their defensive scheme. They had a bunch of mercenaries on one-year contracts, and I still think that they performed relatively admirably considering that old bare-bones Tampa 2 system. And it all goes back to just that idea. And this is what I think Bears fans should be so excited about is if there's one thing that you should know about the Bears, we've seen this brand of football before. And I could understand some hesitation if you're thinking, hey, that was 10 plus years ago. Does it really work nowadays? But the fact that you saw it working with the Colts in the modern era means that it should be a seamless transition in Chicago. And you're just seeing players like Kenny Moore swiping at the ball at every tackle attempt guys just constantly being relentless in their pursuit. And I'm excited for that. I, there's a there's an element of Bears football that's been missing on the defense. And I know that we had the Fangio years, but that was a very different style and brand of football than what we're going back to. And I'm excited about that. That's a great connection that you just built there. You know, Lovey and Eberflus. Uh, what are other similarities uh, do you see between those two coaching styles? Sure. Well, I think that Something that you will probably notice when we break, and I'm going to break down the film on this as we get into it, is Eberflus likes to play a patient style of game, which is, and Aaron Rodgers talked about this eloquently when he was going up against those quarters teams and two high teams in the modern era, where it forces you to be patient. And that is the entire basis of what the Tampa 2 is. We're going to limit explosive plays. And we're going to force you to dink and dunk. And we're going to hope that by rallying to the tackle, we can force a ball loose. We can force you into getting impatient and making a mistake. And so that is still the foundation of what Eberflus and Lovey, for that matter, run. But where Eberflus is really transformed, and I don't think Lovey's nearly as drastic in this measure, is Eberflus is trying to fit the run. And this is something that I don't know how many fans are actively aware of this, but in the too high system that we're seeing throughout the league, you are always conceding a man in the box. So when it comes to running the ball, especially on those early downs, you were getting gashed for not being able to fit the run. So he's learned like, hey, I'm going to play a cover one. I'm going to play a cover three. I'm going to rip Liz cover three match, and I'm going to bring that safety down, or we're going to rotate him to bring that extra guy in the box to fit the run in hopes of getting them to a third and long so that we can then play 
quarters. Or if it's, hey, it's a third and seven, I don't need to get so deep and play quarters. Now we can play that cover two and really try to rally to the tackle before the sticks. And that's where I think Eberflus has kind of taken it to the next level where back when Lovey was coaching the Bears and even what you saw a little bit with the Texans, and maybe we'll get into that too just because I'm interested in showing that connection, you see a little bit more of that vanilla style. Hmm. Cover two, cover four, play with effort. We're okay getting beat every here and there, but I really like that Eberflus takes it up to the next level and cranks up the aggression with rotating the safety down. And he'll often send the safety on a blitz, and that's something that excites me as a big Brisker fan. He's a guy that loves talking about sitting in the box and getting after it. He'll send him. What do you think about what Steven says here when he says we don't have Darius Leonard, though? I think that that's an important point. I mean, that <laughs> this is going to fire up Bears fans. <laughs> I like Roquan Smith. I don't think that it's fair to assume that Roquan is all of a sudden going to be Darius Leonard. They are similar players, but I don't think that we can all of a sudden go, look, guys. I mean, let's look at DeForest Buckner. We can't go, we have a guy that's 6'6", 290. He must be DeForest Buckner. And, I mean, not that we're doing that because we don't have that archetype on the team, but I do tend to think that Roquan, the biggest one of the biggest question marks on the defense to me is, will he be able to be transcendent the way that Darius Leonard is? I think that Roquan has a great lateral agility. I think his coverage skills are excellent. But to be fair, I don't think we've seen this knack for taking the ball away. He has the pick six on Joe Burrow. I get it. Has a couple forced fumbles, but he's not a guy that's known to strip the ball, that's just got an inherent nose for it. He's always around it. So we'll see how he does. I think that Darius Leonard's a key and critical part of that scheme. But I think that they're also hoping that they can kind of make some of that up with an ultra-athletic Nick Morrow in a way that I would argue Nick Morrow is much more athletic than Bobby Okereke was um, for them at their mind. Fascinating. Darius Leonard plays the weak side spot in Indianapolis? He does, and Bobby Okereke plays the Mike, and then Matt Adams was the guy that was playing Sam for them. Right, and it is uh, do you expect – this is like the big question, right? Do you expect Roquan to move to the will – I would put him there if you had it, if you asked me and I had it my way. Um, I think that one of the issues with that Mike Backer, and they both, listen, in this day and age, they both need to be quick and fast and able to get sideline to sideline. But the reality is the Mike is expected to truly fit the run a little more. Um, and the Will has the ability to roam freely. He's out playing the slot in space when they're not bringing the nickel. And like, for example, in a two by two set, they'll often roll out that weak side linebacker to play and cover anything kind of five and out and up five yards out, five yards up in the, and this is kind of that cover three cover one match style where if it's five yards or shorter in they're playing an under call and passing it to the mic. And so I really think when you have that great of an athlete in Roquan or Darius Leonard, put them out in space and let them work. And then you have a guy that, and in this case, like I said, Nick Morrow is a great athlete as well, but, I think Roquan's a special player in that respect, and that's why he was taken so high. You, ex you expect Morrow to play the will? I expect uh, Smith to play the will, Morrow to play the mic. Okay, because uh, uh, and you said uh, the will will, will go out and, into coverage. Yes. Um, Morrow, an ex-safety, I think, former yes, safety, and uh, uh, didn't play last year at all, right? So Correct. We, ha we have not seen him since 2002. And twenty. So yes. Your ex, your expectations for Morrow? I think that I mean anybody can go watch his Raiders tape. He's a heat-seeking missile. 
loves to put his helmet into the chest pads of, of running backs and receivers and separate the ball. And I think for that reason, again, nothing on Roquan. If I'm saying that I prefer somebody else, it doesn't mean that Roquan's a bad player. But the thing that the weakness of Roquan's game to me is that he doesn't particularly fit the run well. He doesn't do well shedding blocks. I mean, I want to talk about Urlacher and one of the, the issues with Urlacher's game. And I think Aldo was touching on it earlier is that when a fullback fit him up, it was kind of over. And that was the <laughs> issue with that's the issue with Roquan. That was the issue coming out of Georgia. Yeah, is that knock on him in college? Yeah, when a lineman gets his hands on him, it's and it's not the issue is that Roquan's a smaller player. And so he's all speed, but he's not a guy that's going to all of a sudden stack a block, shed it, and then make a play. And so, sure, Nick Morrow is not some big hulking backer, but I think that he has a little bit more intent of creating disruption, separating the ball, hitting players with force in a way that I would feel more comfortable asking him to fit the run than I would Roquan. Part of being a coach is maximizing your talent, put him in the right spot to succeed. And if you're telling me that a guy is better in coverage, in space, using his lateral agility, not being forced to fit the run where he doesn't have to, that's why I'm putting Smith at the will. It's fascinating, and this is the type of stuff uh, that Jordan is going to be delivering on his new show, which is on Thursdays here on the Barroom Network. Uh, what's the title of the show there, uh, Mr. Jordan? Bare Necessities. There you go. Had <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Bare, Bare Necessities. It'll be Thursdays, 10 o'clock Central, 8 o'clock uh, your time out there uh, and, on the West Coast, Jordan, and uh, 11 o'clock out East. I know we've got a lot of Bears players out East, and I'm sure guys like uh, Chris Watts and Stephen Mee who are out uh, – across the the big pond there will be watching in the morning hours uh watching your show live so that you can interact interact tell us exactly what people are going to experience with bare necessities well thank you although i was going to ask you am i allowed to kind of spoil that that entry episode that inaugural opening um take it you're going to let me so for the first episode we're going to be diving into larry Bourne, the player and what he looked like as a rookie from left tackle to right tackle uh, something I've been working on for the past month here is cutting up 44 plays <laughs> to go through and what we're seeing on, on every play from Borum and what is his viability? Is it better at right tackle or left tackle? Can he be a starter? Um, so that's really going to be the first episode. And then a little sneak peek to what we're working on for episode two is the idea and the belief that Iberflus is just going to run a cover two system, a quarter system, and really showing how he's weaponizing the safeties in fitting the run and playing cover one, cover three, and what has really become a hit defensive scheme at the college level. And I hope to see it kind of rebound into the NFL as the rip Liz match three system from Alabama. And Oof. I'm going to learn so much about football this year from Jordan and the other people here at the Barroom Network. I'm really looking forward to this new edition, Bear Necessities with Jordan uh, Silvera. Did I get it? You did. You did. I'm looking at Mo Beerman here and saying, no naked Jordan. And I'm like, uh, nobody wants to see me naked, but Mo. I'll be fully clothed. And, uh, I, I expect a suit like his, his profile pic, right. his avatar. We need a suit every every Thursday in a suit. Uh, don't tell me. I'll do it. I'll put on the full, full three-piece and 
we'll get real real down to business. But no, I'm excited for it. And I'll do you the man for giving me this opportunity to kind of shed knowledge. You bet. Uh, I'm looking. I'm you know I'm I'm probably more excited than anybody else because I love being a student of the game, and there's so many things that I need to learn. And so uh, what you're doing is bringing to the barroom some much needed uh, lessons on uh, the intricacies of the game and the terminology. One of the things that you and I talked about early on was I asked you, what is it that you most like to communicate? And you talked about uh, football strategy. You know, why are certain formations? Why, why is this? Why is that? And so forth. And, and that is something that appeals to so many of the people who engage here with the Barroom Network and, so I'll, uh, and myself personally. So I'm really looking forward to it, man. Which is the first night? Is it this Thursday? It is. June thirtieth. And if I could impart to, yeah, and if I could impart to the the audience and the crowd here, I mean, it's certainly something that Aldo and I are working on. But just the general idea: the show is flexible, or we are molding it and shaping it around what you, the audience, want to be. So we're talking about that. But if you are interested in maybe creating a voicemail, sending a message. We can do mailbags. We can talk about questions that you have, bringing on people from the audience that have interesting topics that they want to talk about. It's We're really looking to kind of expand it in every direction and trying to fit the, I guess you would say, the missing component of Barber Network, if there is one in this great network that we, we all kind of partake in. And so if you're interested in contributing any content, ideas, I'd love to hear it. What uh, does your lovely wife say about you doing this show? She's excited, um, but she's also smacking me over the head for how much time I'm spending. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That's what killing, I was worried about. Killing me with, uh, damn, why don't you just do 15 Borum clips, not 44? And, uh, because, uh, I know the I'm feeling. Trying to, I'm trying to be thorough because I don't want to, I really, and I, I know you know this, Aldo, but for the audience, I'm really not interested in selling narratives of cutting up 15 plays and showing you why Borum is the best all-star tackle in the world. Mm -hmm. In that 44, there's plenty of lowlights that we're going to talk about and express why it's more complicated than just saying this guy's a starting tackle or he's a complete bum. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's detail in everything I do. And that's kind of where we're heading now. Steven has the uh, most important question. Is there going to be a Jordan sex life section like we have with Dan here? <laughs> I don't think that the uh, the wife would appreciate that, but I don't know. Maybe don't, you guys will. Uh... Don't cut any tape. <laughs> That's want, right. We want you to stay married. Yes. Sir. Yes. Yeah, sir. You want tape of that? That'll be the Patreon section of uh, all of our sex lives cut into a video. Who's going to edit that? <laughs> well, this is great fun. Go ahead. Can uh, I? Uh, yeah. See, uh, uh, it's interesting that you chose Larry Borum, who I consider to be the best offensive lineman on this roster currently. Uh, can you tell us why you chose Larry Borum as your first subject? I did because I felt, and to be very clear, and this is going to shock a few people, I actually was more happy about the Tevin Jenkins pick than I was the Justin Fields pick last year. Um, if I had it my way, I, I and listen, it all worked out. I'm happy now. I wasn't particularly a fan of the idea of taking a quarterback last year because I thought that that would have reset a new lease on life for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. And it's a good point. I, I'm glad that it didn't end up that way. But, but I would it was have such a great quarterback draft, though. Yeah, no, I know. You know? I'm, listen, okay. I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out the way it did. I just I assumed that, hey, 
Ryan Pace, here's your new quarterback. You've got another three and a half years. And that would have really scared the hell out of me. But I think there's a situation here that that's the only reason why I preferred Tevin Jenkins. I wasn't sure that quarterback was the right way. Now that I see it, you know, with hindsight of, okay, those two guys are gone. I'm very happy to have Justin Fields. But the reason I went with Borum over Tevin Jenkins, a guy that I love, is Tevin Jenkins had a limited amount of film. I think a lot of people are ready to judge Tevin Jenkins and don't realize that the guy didn't have a training camp. And when he did come into play, they're not doing padded practices. He had a an interview where he was talking about the weightlifting he was doing to build his strength. And he was saying he was doing J squats, which aren't even, we're not talking a bar on the back uh, doing work. So I didn't feel like you could get a complete grade from him. And not that any player's grade is complete after one year, but Borum had a significant amount of snaps. And the bigger part to me, and this is really what drove it to, which is the idea that Borum was able to show reps against some of the best rushers in the league. And that's what I'm really getting into is it's 44 cutups of, him versus Nick Bosa, him versus uh, TJ Watt, and then him versus Carlos Dunlap and Rasheem Green and all the players there in Seattle. And they the held Seattle, his own. Yeah. The, and I mean, like I said, I, I hope you'll tune in because you'll see there's there's some real ugly reps in there. But it's it was like nothing. Any rookie. Yeah. There was nothing that scared me like this guy can't play. Right. I think that a, a thing that we all need to remember is – everybody had a little bit of stink of shit on them working in that Matt Nagy offense. And it was Tevin Jenkins. It was Justin Fields. It was Larry Borum. Like Larry Borum's a guy that gave up zero pressures and his last year of school in the yep. SEC going up against Will Anderson, going up against uh, BJ Ojulari, going up against the who's who's uh, Jabari Zuniga guys like that and held his own in the SEC and had plenty of good reps against some of the best rushers. But, oh, man, he had a few plays where he gave up sacks. Yeah, they're ugly. But let's not forget the fact that everybody had some stink working in that system. And it's down to everybody. I mean, I Darnell Mooney's probably the biggest success story that we've ever seen. And it begs the question of what would that guy look like if he had a competent guy playing beside him? And I say that because as much as we love Allen Robinson, he checked out last year. I don't know, one or two games in, if that. <laughs> and it he really, wasn't the only one. <laughs> yeah, it really and it really became the Darnell Mooney or Cole Komet show. And I guess, sadly, it's a great thing, but sadly, David Montgomery had one of the more sure sets of hands in the entire offense. So I tend to look at any of these players and think, if you're ready to finalize the grade on them, give it a little more time. That's Cole Komet, that's Justin Fields, that's Mooney, that's everybody. And Borum, I think, to just kind of close it up here, too, just the re- real reason is, I think that he plays a more critical role than people want to realize. And as much as the hype on the Braxton Jones train is full speed ahead on a personal level, I feel much more comfortable with the idea of Larry Borum an SEC tackle who has a year of NFL experience than rushing to say, let's put Southern Utah offensive yeah. line in Braxton Jones. This is nothing against Braxton Jones, but like if I could leave one thing with the audience who I know that there's hype behind Braxton Jones. Sure. Braxton Jones to me is Bruce Campbell. And I don't know if anybody remembers Bruce Campbell, but he was this tackle out of Maryland who the specs are almost, the measurements are almost identical and they were athletic freaks. And unfortunately, Bruce Campbell bounced around the league for a long time because of that athletic skill set. And it never really crystallized into anything beyond an athletic talent that teams were interested to see if they could transform him into the guy. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to Braxton Jones, but I know what we, I, I certainly have a more clear picture of what we have in Larry Borum than rolling out this left tackle to protect Justin Fields' blind side. 
That's yeah. a rookie that played at a lower level of school. I can't see it with you know, Jones starting. I mean, he seems like a smart dude. Uh, he's I, to me, he's a little undersized, decent technique and and quick feet. But Borum, man, like you said, I I think Borum will be the left tackle. That's just me. I, your predictions on uh, where uh, you see Borum lining up? I would personally prefer Borum at left tackle, um, and I know that's somewhat controversial. I don't. Not for to the me. record. I, I for the record, I know that like uh, Neil Stopchinski and D- Danny Shimon are are not. Jenkins supporters. I think Jenkins could play left tackle if you wanted him to. I know Greg Gabriel holds that same belief. I just think that when I looked at their games, and this is a little insight to kind of how I evaluate film and what I think of these guys, this is a negative connotation and it shouldn't be. But Larry Borum to me was the new age uh, Charles Leno in the, just the sense of, and I know that that's a, that's a nasty name to a lot of Bears fans, but part of what you need to realize is that building offensive lines in the NFL it is too expensive to have all-stars at every position. It just is. You can look at the Baltimore Ravens and the Colts, and really the most recent one was the Dallas Cowboys when they had Travis Frederick and Zach Martin and Lyle Collins and Tyron Smith. And it becomes too expensive to fund a top-five offensive line with the best names in the league. And sometimes it's okay to just have a guy that you – I call him like a set-and-forget. Sure, he's not going to blow anybody's hair back. Maybe he lets up a sack a game, maybe once every two games. But for the most part, he's handling his own. Mm-hmm. And my thing, and you'll hear a lot of people say Borum can play guard. My issue with Borum is he doesn't displace people in the run game. As big of a body as he is, for whatever reason, he doesn't just maul people. But what he is exceptional at is with that big frame, he has exceptionally quick, quick feet and mirrors really, really yeah. well. Walls off the defender. Correct. And I, I mean, I'm getting a little bit into my tape here, but like rule of three, I, I, it's got a, I mean, I guess it's, this is the social show. I can be a little explicit. It's, <laughs> it's the three dicks rule. And what I, I call that by is you have the defensive lineman's dick, you have your dick, and then you have the quarterback's dick. And the idea <laughs> is we're kind of keeping them in an orbit. I need to make sure that my dick is between the quarterbacks and my defensive linemen's at all times. That is the idea of perfect mirroring. And Borum does an exceptional job at that for the yeah. most part. His issue really was like leaning and putting his hands too far out and getting them swiped away. And so that's the guy you want on your left tackle, pass protector, extraordinaire, maybe not the greatest run blocker to cover Justin Fields' blindside. Where Tevin Jenkins is best at right tackle. He can play guard too, but I see him as a right tackle because his big thing is he displaces people in the run game with a nasty demeanor. And when you think about pass pro, it's not all that bad. He's incredibly technical too. He has a snatch technique. He's knocking guys hands down. He's using what is uh, Mitchell Schwartz calls it the Hamilton. I call it the, the fork technique. But the idea is you get these defensive linemen that they stick their hand out and they're trying to long arm you. And the way to disarm that is to just push the arm up and then you refit into their chest. And so the idea there is Tevin Jenkins has got all that technicality with the pass pro. And then you add in the fact that he's himself called himself a nasty motherfucker. So he's the guy that's just bullying people in the run game, pushing people down the line, fitting up on the second level and run blocks. I'll have that guy as my right tackle. And then if I want to pair him with like a Zach Thomas, who's a guy that I think his pass blocking was horrendous, but as a run blocker, he moved people too. I'm telling David Montgomery and Khalil Juice Herbert, hey, we're running right, wide zone. Pick a lane, stick it, and go. 
Hey guys, I want to uh, get these questions in uh, before it's too late. Uh, we'll start with PJ. He says, "What? How do you feel about Jenkins and uh, his best position?" I'd like him at right tackle, as I said. I think that that's really where he's he's Me he'd be best at home. Yeah, it's, he um, does get a push in the run game. Yeah, I got a feeling we're going to see him at that right guard position. Uh, any thoughts on why he's been playing with the second uh, second uh, team? Are you concerned about his conditioning? Because he he brought it up apparently at, at uh, Olin on Olin's podcast about conditioning issues. You know, it's, it's funny, and Nomad's probably here in the chat. Nomad has talked about the conditioning. I, I'm not even here to say that that's not true. He was talking about drinking beer and trying to get his body right, and that's probably all very true. And for anybody that's really worried about a guy playing in the second team, please, I would implore you, inform me of a guy that's lost their job in a serious manner before <laughs> the pads were ever on. I think this is a situation where when you actually think about, if we're just being serious, what would you lose your job for in non-padded practices? It's you're either showing up late, you're not working out, your body's not right. Greg Gabriel's talked about the fact that your body, your BMI and your body fat needs to be at a per certain percentage. You're not picking up the plays. I mean, I'm not telling you that these aren't issues to be concerned about, but I mean, I'll, I'll draw a little comparison and draw a little string between them. A certain archetype of players is wide receivers that in training camp, the big bodied athletic freaks, the DK Metcalf, Denzel Mims, Cortland Sutton's, they always look fantastic in training camp because they're just bodying and beating people up that don't, you know, when, when all of a sudden, when it's pads come on, all of a sudden I can hit you, I can separate the ball. Some of that goes away. Well, in the same respect, Tevin Jenkins is not a guy that's going to show his best plays in pat in non-padded practices where he can't drive you into the ground, plant you there, do the step over where he's dragging his nuts on your helmet. Like that's just, that's who he is. He mm -hmm. plays with that nasty demeanor. And, I mean, I love Tevin Jenkins. One of the things that people love about Braxton Jones is that he's such a smooth talker and he's very well-spoken, and I agree. Tevin Jenkins, I don't think, has ever displayed that, that smooth talker, well-spoken, but there's been no question about his physicality on the field. I mean, this is a guy that is going up against a very well-established all-pro in Anthony Barr. And after the play, is just planting him in the ground and going like, hey, take that. Get, get off my guy. And so... I don't, I don't see a situation where in, in, in I'm calling it training camp, in OTAs and minicamp, where you don't have padded practices, that he's lost his job in any final way. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, have a, uh, you disagree with that at all, Tooch? No, no, not at all. All right, well, let's no. get to Zach's question here. He says, how did Fluce's D fare against the Titans? Have you had a chance to uh, look at that tape, and are, aren't we only – Worried about power running backs? Not many of those guys are around, right? So that's an interesting question. I mean, I can talk about the Titans. Uh, I, and Zach, I mean, I'll, I'll take a question as the Titans. The one I, the one that you often hear is the Jaguars game. The Jaguars was the last game. That's the one where the Colts had to win to get in that game and go to the playoffs. I'll talk a little bit about that too. But in regards to the Titans, I don't think that they ever showed out too poorly against the Titans. The Titans are a team that, I mean, and don't get me wrong, they play exceptionally hard when they're gashing you with Derrick Henry on duo. And then all of a sudden when you're playing and fitting up on the run, Ryan Tannehill's dropping back and throwing play-action bombs to A.J. Brown and to, at one point they had Khalif Raymond, and uh, they have some other speedsters there. I think one of them's uh, Westbrook Akina. And so I think that, sure, you can look at those, but the thing that I actually thought was beautiful that 
Flusewood actually had some of his best defensive games against the Titans is he would actually fit the run, but have his linebackers never step up and take a run step, a read step to fit the run. They would actually flow laterally, which would allow them to still have depth to play those crossers and over routes that so many offenses are feasting on. And so I never saw a big issue with the Titans games. And I, not that the Jaguars is a big issue too. People want to talk about that Jaguars explosion. I, in boxing, there's a, a term I like to use, which is like the idea that you're catching somebody on the half count. So it's like one, two, they're throwing a jab. And it's like one, two, and then you're hitting them. That was the entire game of yeah. the Colts versus the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Trevor Lawrence just had his best game. When they were trying to fit the run, he was dinking and dunking. The pass rush could never get home because they were playing the short pass. As soon as they would play the short pass, they're running it up with uh, – what is the name of the, the running – oh, Raquel Armstead and uh, Dare Agbunwale. And so it was just a game where the Colts could never get right defensively. And then as soon as the offense would come out with Carson Wentz, they're turning over the ball on downs. Carson Wentz is losing a fumble. He's throwing an interception. So the defense was oftentimes put in a bad spot, and then you lost Rocky Sin, your perimeter corner, and Kenny Moore was compromised the entire game, the best slot corner in the league. So I tend to think that a lot of players, a lot of fans think that, man, why did we hire the coach that couldn't even put up a strong defense to get his team into the playoffs? And I think that context is really important in that matter. Hmm. Great stuff. Uh, Leo was uh, is concerned about the offensive line. He He's wondering if uh, would we be surprised if the O-line looks below average the first few weeks? It's a good question. I don't think that that would be surprising at all. And mind you, I'm, maybe I'm just the eternal optimist. I tend to think that the Bears can really surprise the 49ers in that opening week. Eberflus tends to play Kyle Shanahan exceptionally well, and then there's really nobody knows what Luke Getzey's offense is going to look like, and you're certainly not going to see what that looks like in the preseason. It's going to be all vanilla. But I tend to agree in the sense that, look, offensive lines need to gel. And at a bare minimum, you absolutely are going to have new bodies in there that weren't there last year. And the majority of them. You got Lucas Patrick at center, whoever's going to be your right guard. Maybe it's Braxton Jones. Maybe it's Larry Borum at left tackle. Maybe it's Tevin Jenkins. Hopefully he's healthy enough and he's not in second string. We don't know if they're picking up a veteran player to play guard. Cody Whitehair had an exceptionally bad uh, year last year. Does he bounce back? And so it's certainly going to take some time to gel. But I tend to think that you can overcome some of that by simplifying the game plan, mm-hmm. which is, hey, can we find a way to be successful running the ball? And then playing what I loved, it's the, it's the Shanahan system, and this is why the Trey Lance draft pick was such an interesting decision because when you really think about Shanahan's, whether it's even Mike, they've never really had an exceptional quarterback that was just this all-around talent. John always fantastic. I'm not dismissing that. But when you think about Matt Schaub, and I guess Matt Ryan was pretty exceptional but didn't have the athleticism that, you know, you're seeing with Trey Lance, they've had to play what I call as like Jimmy G ball, and Carson Wentz has this exact same trait, which is for whatever reason they tend to throw the ball into the defense's hands or give it up the most inopportune times. And so if you can kind of say we're going to play – that Jimmy G ball at Justin Fields and say, look, we're going to run the ball successfully. We need you to make like three or four plays, Justin, show that accuracy, make the right decision. I think that they can kind of grind that game out and allow the offensive line to gel that way where they're just doing a ton of run blocking. We're not asking them to be dancing bears on their back feet, trying <laughs> to assets. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's funny, you know, we've been talking about Lovey Smith and how he he would divide a season into quarters uh, and, and talk to his players about quarters. Well, now, given that we have 17 games, uh, I like to do it into threes, uh, into thirds. And so, Jordan, you're right. If you, we can get off to a great start uh, against the 49ers and beat them at home here, the opening game, and I think – that is, there is a possibility that a strong possibility that could happen, particularly if Robert Quinn is going to play for this 2022 uh, NFL team. And if Trey Lance is the starting quarterback, as everything is pointing that way, you know, we could have a lot of pressure on a guy like Trey Lance who could co- commit multiple turnovers, and this young offense could take advantage of that. Then you move into week two, a Sunday night affair. I just feel like the tide is going to eventually turn and the Bears are going to start beating the Packers. We uh, uh, Maybe the whole Lovey Smith thing uh, again plays a role here as just being prophetic that it, you know, beat the beat the Packers is the number one priority. Let's hope that uh, Eberflus has that same mentality because then if you get off to a 2-0 start, holy cow, look at that first third of the season and who's left on the schedule. The Texans, the Giants, the Vikings, the Washington football team. Oh, uh, excuse me, the Commanders. And so, all of a sudden, you're you're looking at a at a football team that can get off to a dramatic uh, improvement, uh, a dramatic start to the season. Uh, I get excited about the possibilities. I'm like Jordan. Um, I, I look at the at the beginning of the season. I'm optimistic. I'm also uh, I'm also a lot older than Jordan. I think if you put Jordan and Tucci's ages together, you might hit my age. And so I'm a little bit more skeptical skeptical than I used to be. But uh, man, there's some really strong possibilities. And I, and I want to go to Tucci here because I know that Tucci is a lot like me. He's skeptical about uh, about stuff. But what do you think? You know, my my theory is uh, if you can get out to that 2-0 and start, all of a sudden, man, things are starting to look really scrumptious for the Bears. It's certainly possible. I mean, you get the, the players are certainly fired up because uh, recently, I think it was Darnell Mooney who came out and said uh, players know what to focus on in practice. They know what they're going to be doing for, you know, the day. The previous regime, they didn't have a lot of like idea. Oh, what are we doing today? You know, I don't know if anybody, either of you guys saw the article that came up this week, uh, but uh, that that's going to help. You know, these players are going to be hungry. They're going to be tired. They're tired of losing, man. <laughs> like, you know, and then they've got the element of surprise that you know there's no there's no tape on some of these guys. You know, uh, certainly uh, San Francisco. It, it'll those first two games will be challenging. You know, yeah. San Francisco and Packers. Those are both playoff teams. After that, it, it, it's easy. And like Aldo and I have been saying uh, for a long time, that it, there's not. It's not an intimidating schedule. You know, there is some. There's a lot of chances to win games, and there's there some teams that aren't great. You know, they're they're middle of the pack or lower as well. But uh, I mean, we only have a couple visits to teams that are a couple games of teams that are, are playoff caliber. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 49ers, like Aldo said, though, they're going to be starting basically a rookie. Right? Yeah, and it's it's not just a rookie. I mean, like one thing I'd really encourage and implore all the, all the fans to look at is, will you please go – I mean, if Aldo, if you want to pull it up, pull up the San Francisco 49ers offensive line. Mm-hmm, they lost sure. Alex Mack. He retired. They haven't signed a J.C. Treader. If they signed J.C. Treader, maybe I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. But they have Aaron Banks, the guy that they drafted in the second round last year, who did, wasn't able to play it because he wasn't – doing well enough to get onto the field. 
So you have Trent Williams, no doubt about it. Trent Williams is a top three offensive tackle in the league. I'm with it. If he, even if it's Robert Quinn, he shuts down Robert Quinn, no problem there. But they're still rolling out with guys like Daniel Brunskill. And I'm trying to remember, oh, Mike McGlinchey's, I guess, their right tackle. So sure, they have some decent bookends. But the interior of that offensive line looks really weak. And the fastest way to get to a rookie quarterback is to blitz them, force them to make tough decisions quick. And if you just start mugging up the A-gaps, blitzing a linebacker, bringing five early downs, I think that you can really disrupt some of those plays. Yeah, I've highlighted here the interior offensive linemen. Um, and, uh, yeah, I agree with you. This looks like a, a something the Bears could take advantage of. Um, yeah, I mean, like know. that's – that's the thing is people want to talk about the off the, the offense like it's some all-star team and it's like no their their line is still really concerning. Mm-hmm, it really is. All right. Um let's see. Anything else you guys want to touch on before we pull the plug on this episode? Uh, this is kind of an interesting point here. You know, uh do we want to like have success right away cuz I mean he makes a he makes a good point that you know, uh, championship teams are built on, you know, uh, strong drafts, you know, it's, uh, or at least, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, certainly for teams like Jacksonville and, uh, and Detroit, it hasn't worked quite worked out that way, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, maybe the tide is turning, but, uh, how would you feel if, if we, you know, started to get back into the middle of the pack and we had, you know, mid round draft picks again, go ahead, Jordan. And then I'll chime in. Yeah, I I think that the thing to keep in mind, and that's the beautiful part of when I said, like, hey, we know what this brand of football looks like. And that's as this is kind of a Lovey Smith, you know, video. It's always that that was the beautiful part is they never quite bottomed out. They were never cellar dwellers. They were always relevant, always in games. You knew when you were playing the Chicago Bears to pack a hard hat, pack a lunch, and that you were probably going to walk away with a bloody nose because it was going to be a tough brand of football. And I think that that's how you start to play. And I I love like nomads in the chat saying we're going to pop the Packers once this year. I hope that's the case. But I mean, I, I, I've been that sucker for every year where I'm going like, this will be the year we beat of it. I'm never, I'm done. I'll believe that we beat the Packers and we beat the Packers. And I mean, sure that the the early part of the schedule is really easy. We could end up six and oh, but I think you're going to find some that are dropped somewhere somehow. And that looks like a a likely one, but I will admit that if you're going to play the Packers early is the right way to do it. Their receiving core is a real mess at the moment. So I see where we can poke holes in this, but as far as early success, I don't see a problem with it. I think that, as a matter of fact, that's really kind of the jolt of energy that you want to see and move forward, because I think that that's what builds the confidence of a Cole Komet, a Justin Fields, a Darnell Mooney, a Valus Jones, these guys. And then the defense starts getting swagger too, where they start generating some takeaways, swiping at balls, and all of a sudden – Every game they're going in going, don't worry, Justin, we're going to find a way to get you the ball. And if the offense starts capitalizing too, that's the Lovey Smith model. Can we just play complimentary football? Can the defense get the ball over to Rex? Can Rex give it off to Thomas Jones or hit Bernard Berrien? Can we get an explosive play from Valus Jones on a return? Or in this case, it was a Devin Hester back in the day. Can we find a way to create strategic advantages to pull out these games? And if not, just know it's going to be a tough, brutal game that you're going to have to play. Yeah, and my my thoughts on it, uh, you don't. Um, excuse me here. Let me do this. You you should not uh, think that way, in my opinion. You go out to win every game. Yep. 
you you have to try to win every game. Don't worry about what order of the draft you're going to be in because there are draft fines up and down the draft. Almost every round, there are certainly quality players to look at and uh, that can help you win football games. Now, I understand the thinking, you know, you want to, you'd like to have a draft where you're picking the first two, you know, the first player in the draft, the second player in the draft, but there are a lot of winning teams that don't think that way or don't rely on that. Look at the 2018 draft, which I've got up on the screen now. Baker Mayfield, Saquon Bartley, Sam Darnold were your first three picks. You know, do you really want any of those guys with the Chicago Bears right now? I don't think so. Let's look uh, after uh, the Bears picked Roquan Smith. There's some quality players here. Mike McGlinchey, uh, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, now with the Steelers, Vita Vea. Uh, Darren Jones, quality mid, mid-draft pick. So if the Bears are 8-9 and nine or 9-8 or, or, or and eight, uh, this season, these are the types of players that might be available in the 2023 draft. And then let's go over to round two. Look at Darius Leonard there at the number 36 overall pick. Um, so – I wouldn't worry so much about saying, oh, we need to tank or we need to lose games to get high draft picks. What you need is an outstanding scouting department, and you rely on them to find those gems in the middle of the first round or late in the first round in rounds two, three, four, five. That's what you should be relying on and not hoping that uh, that we're going to go through the misery of losing game after game so we can get a high draft pick. I don't like that kind of thinking. Just drop the mic there, Aldo. <laughs> but, uh, I want to go back to right guard. The yeah. talk of Aldo's right. It's not going to be Dakota Dozier. <laughs> he was placed on IR uh, uh, just recently, a couple days ago. But uh, right. Goodbye, a lot of people say Sam Mustafer. What are your thoughts, Jordan? I, it's funny. People hate Sam Mustafer. I'm not like part of the Olin Krutz trade where I think Sam Mustafer is the next <laughs> – you know, uh, Ryan Kelly or any player like that. I think, though, that he's an incredibly heady player, that his biggest issue is he gets overpowered at the point of attack. Mm-hmm. And he was yeah. playing in a gap scheme at the pivot where he has to snap, and all of a sudden he's playing against shade noses and one techs, and all of a sudden he's got big, big bodies pushing him back. Kenny Clark made him his, made him his bitch that day, I have to be honest. And it's just mm-hmm. it's one of those things where if you can tell him, hey, be a guard, and you're going to get help from a tackle on a duo play or a center, you know, you, we can kind of fit you in. But to be very clear, I think he's hit. The reason he's there, the reason he got that one year tender is because interior offensive linemen that can play multiple positions are valuable. And so God forbid, if Lucas Patrick went down, we can rely on Mustafer to, to take some snaps. Mm-hmm. If he needed to slide over to Cody Whitehair's spot, he can do that. I, I don't know if this will happen, but I've been kind of banging the table that they go out and they get a veteran guard to play that position. And we're not talking to Dakota Dozier. And sure, I'm not telling you that you're going to get an all-star free agent at this point. But I really, a guy I really liked was Trey Hopkins out of Cincinnati. And I know people think Cincinnati had that offensive line that was terrible. Trey Hopkins is a guy that's another set-and-forget type player. At this stage, that's what you're hoping for. A guy that just can acquit himself well. And he's a guy that has interior capability to play center, to play guard. He was actually playing center for the Bengals the last year or two. He understands calling protections. So I think that you get these guys that 
can fill the role there. And that's fine. If they didn't want to do that, then I've really been kind of hammering home the idea of, and I'm not against Jatire Carter, but I liked Zach Thomas as a guy that is ultra athletic, really pushes people around and bullies them in the run game. And his pass bro is horrible. I, I want to be very clear until they fix that. That's a real issue, but the, not that you want this in every offensive scheme you're winning. If you don't have to keep a guy home, that's really what you're going for is that if I can release a back or, you know, and, and not have to have him chip, I'm in a better spot, but with a guard that struggles at pass pro, so you have the center help him out, or you have a tackle kind of assist, or you have the running back come up and chip. And then with that guy that's a super specialist at run blocking, that I'm just running it to the right as much as I can. I'm saying, what are you going to do when these two bullies at right guard and right tackle are just walling people down and we're watching Herbert or Monty cut it up up the alley? Like, it's just, that's really what I want to see if you're not going to bring in a veteran like Trey Hopkins. I love that thinking, man. And I love the fact that this guy has his own show here at the bar room. Jordan, uh, go ahead. I'm going to give you 30 seconds here to promote your show. Sure. Everybody, Barflies, I appreciate you even, you know, and Aldo Maestro giving me an opportunity to talk about the game that I love. And I hope that you all join along and submit feedback, discuss what you want to see, what you want to hear. As I said earlier, we're really open to all ideas and topics. I really want to make this a show that covers, don't get me wrong, the Bears, but I'd like to even expand it just to other teams, the NFL in general, philosophy, scheme, roster building, draft philosophy, finances, how are you spending, positions of value. I'd like to incorporate potentially a mailbag or a voicemail line where you guys can kind of chip in and, and assist. And so I really want to make this. Don't give that number to Don Burr. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't. <laughs> I really think that this is a, a great opportunity for us to continue to collaborate and bond as a, as a collective network and, and Barflies joining in. Uh, I think it's a great launch pad for that. And although you're the man for even offering it up the opportunity, and I promise you I plan to run with it and be successful. I know you will be, and it's like Cliff said earlier in the chat. He says you're 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 headed for a lot of success. You're very personable and knowledgeable. Um, so Cliff has got that same producer eye and ear that I do. I think you. This is just the beginning. We've had some uh, a lot of success stories here at the Barroom Network. Uh, Jordan Reed, who is now ESPN analyst, started with the NFC North uh, Barroom, writing columns for the Vikings Barroom. He was uh, brought in by B.J. Rydell, who is also a very talented guy. And so, you know, I'm not saying that uh, you're going to see Jordan on ESPN, but maybe NBC. <laughs> so, <laughs> whatever we can do to shine a spotlight on all the uh, talent out there uh, uh, is is important to me, uh, I really love uh, doing that. I like to feed the ball to uh, the scores. So that's my little role in this. And the rest of it is uh, is up to you talented guys like Johnny Santucci and uh, Jordan Silvera. Thank you, sir. Silvera, yes. Um, and as, as Nomad said, Don is my kryptonite. I, uh, <laughs> that man finds a way to get to me, but I, I, <laughs> and he'll watch this eventually. Don, I promise I will find a time to have you on so we can hopefully squash this beef. And That's going to be good. Well, I'll, you know, maybe we'll have him on then that uh, the Bear Debate Show, which is a show that's going to start uh, sometime in late August, and it's a debate show between Bears fans. And uh, in some instances, we'll have uh, two debaters or maybe even three debaters from different parts of the country who root for different teams, and we'll have some fun with that. That's a show that uh, – 
debuted last season, uh, but it's going to be different in that it's not going to be uh, John Buffon versus Tyler Ellis every week. We're going to have guest debaters every week, and so we're uh, well on our way to uh, prepping that show for its debut in late August. But the debut uh, this week is Jordan's Bare Necessities. That's going to be outstanding. Jordan, I'm going to let you go, and then John and I are going to close things out, all right? Excellent, sir. Gentlemen, have a wonderful night. Bear down, everybody. Okay, brother. Bye, Jordan. What a great guy, huh? <laughs> oh, he's the best. He really yeah, is. Very knowledgeable. I don't. Uh, I, I'm trying to think back. You know, every once in a while, I think about when was the first time I met Tooch, and when was the first time uh, I met 2017. Matt? 2017. So that yep. was the year before Nagy. It was the John Fox yep. Firefox season. Firefox. <laughs> so, yep. Yeah, and uh, you've you've been a tremendous asset to the barroom over the years. The stuff that you did with Hundred Proof with the drops uh, and and great, all that stuff. Memories, good times. Fantasy football stuff uh, and uh, the streaming yep. show, and you know your role here is is going to continue uh, with various things. I'm so excited about uh, your uh, you've come back to the bar room, and your association is uh, with us is valuable to what we're trying to do here, which is first and foremost entertain and inform. That's what we love to do here. Yep. Tooch, before you go, we got Cliff Victoria here in the. Uh, in the chat, you and I have managed to convince him. Uh, we've talked about the man who fell to earth. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Cliff has now, I think Cliff has seen every episode. He has caught up. The uh, season uh, ending episode is next Sunday. Uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this most recent episode as the story has really, really propelled forward and we're finding out a lot of cool things for those. Oh, of- my God. And the, the last episode is like a cliffhanger to this past one. It's like, I don't know where to start because so many things happen that are spoiled. I mean, it was spoiler after spoiler. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah, hard really to talk about it, you know, because yeah. uh, uh, I, don't, I don't even know where to start. It's, you know, uh <laughs> You know, oh. you, you you had uh, uh, of course the the demise of of Jimmy Simpson's character. You know that's you know uh, was unexpected, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then um, the the history, uh, the re- the big reveal with 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 Edie, right? Yes, and yes, then yes. The the ending, which is possibly a big reveal with uh, Newton and Edie and Hatch's dad. Mm-hmm. You know that, like uh, uh, Newton's company was taken from him, and he maybe possibly built another giant company that's come right back full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, God, I, I mean, I don't. I, I had to watch this episode twice, to be honest, because it, yeah, a lot of it I went over my I'm head. Not watching it a second a time because, yeah, I uh, uh, there were some things that I went, huh? Oh, I got to go back, so I'm going to watch it a second yeah. time. But it, it is that kind of science fiction show it is not you know uh, and I, i'm not dissing any of the marvel fans and stuff we've got a, a show that's almost strictly de- dedicated to that but this is this is a little bit more of a thinking show it really challenges the mind and i i really appreciate that kind of science fiction just like i do a good marvel movie from time to time um, the problem with watching Marvel movies is that you feel like if you miss one or two, you miss a lot because they're all multiverse uh, together. Couldn't agree more. I couldn't <laughs> agree more. I mean, I watched the, the new uh, Doctor Strange, the multiverse movie, and I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't know where, where I mean, I kind of, was kind of lost. I, I kind of 
understand about where it falls in the uh in the timeline of recent marvel movies but mm-hmm. i don't know i just kind of I, I i maybe i was really tired but i i like the doctor strange character and the stories but i fell asleep i gotta be yeah. honest maybe yeah, I'm I, I, i've had that issue too with some marvel films um part of it is that i i feel a little lost sometimes uh, because I didn't see the previous one and stuff. But uh, Cliff, by the way, uh, Showtime should send us a check because <laughs> Cliff signed up for Showtime just to see the man who fell to earth yeah. uh, because we, we uh, encouraged him to see that. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to get into details, and maybe what we should do you know, is wait till after the series finale and have a bit more in-depth discussion about it. But knowing, of course, that many of the people in the chat room who watch us live uh, have not uh, seen the show, so you know, maybe let's let's talk more about it next week, and then after that, um, you know, maybe sometime later in the summer or early in the fall, we'll go back and revisit the show. Have you yeah. heard if they're going to bring it back for a season two? I don't think it's that's been announced yet. To be yeah, honest, I haven't heard anything about it, it so. and it might just be a one season uh, story, but. Uh yeah, uh, Stephen, give us some spoilers. He, he give a, he, he's already seen the last episode. Okay, uh, really? Do you want to hear? They, they're a week ahead in Europe. Fuck, Stephen! No, don't tell me anything. <laughs> yeah, you're one, you one of those guys that doesn't mind a spoiler, uh, Tooch. I thought he was talking about uh, episode nine. Oh. Well, so no, don't, just, don't spoil it for us. No, yeah. no, no. Right. I want to uh, be surprised. <laughs> the thing no. is, is I don't mind spoilers, but if I know, I know I'm going to blurt it out to my wife and she will beat me. She will pick up a stick and beat me if I give her any spoilers. So, right. So don't right. Uh, don't tell me anything, Steve. <laughs> Before I ask you one last question, I wanted to ask you a question about the card counter and, and the this, this final scene with Willem Dafoe and he walks into Willem Dafoe's house. Were you surprised to see like Willem Dafoe's furniture? Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. I, I was like, okay, now I kind of understand, you know, a little yeah. bit more. But uh, we'll have we'll talk about that with Dan Aguirre about why. Yeah. Uh, why uh, uh, they both did that. You know, right. but uh, so if, those of you who have not seen the card counter, try to watch it uh, next week and uh, uh, or sometime this week and uh, next episode, we'll all talk about it together. And it is really, uh, I, I know a number of people have seen it because they've commented. A couple of people said they didn't like the Abu Ghraib scenes. Uh, I, I think you and I, based on what I saw quickly in the chat, you and I might be the biggest fans of this movie. Yeah. You know, the, the Abu Ghraib didn't because uh, William Tell was he was comfortable in a prison. Mm-hmm. His life, he felt comfortable in a fucking prison. I don't mm-hmm. want to give away the ending, but we'll talk mm-hmm. about that with Dan if Dan watches it. Yes. But that was where he learned to play cards. That was where he he everything was provided for him, you know, and all all this stuff. We'll talk about that next. Well, week. and it, it felt like you know that he wanted to he wanted to uh, pay for his sins. He, it was penance for him. Yeah, great point. <laughs> yep. Um, and um, he, first of all, those Abu Ghraib scenes in the movie, again, we're talking about the card counter He couldn't here. punish himself enough, although. Yeah, well put, well put. But those scenes were shot so magnificently so well. with those yep. that super wide angle lens. 
You know, I almost wish I would have taken like a gummy it was almost bear. like a funhouse mirror. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. really awesome. shot in such a fascinating way. So I was surprised when I saw a couple of comments saying I really hated the Abu Ghraib scenes because just from a visual standpoint, I thought they were phenomenal. And then how they fit into the story. It's like yeah. my my... My my wife is a big uh, gambler. She likes to go to Vegas or Atlantic City and and and, and gamble. And so she kept going back to that storyline. Well, why did he why did he do that? Did he win that match and and so forth? And I go, honey, I think you're missing the whole point of the story here. <laughs> That's just a vehicle to to address some of the demons that he has within him. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I get it, but I want to know if he, if he won that poker match or not. <laughs> yeah, no, I know it was you. And, and you know, I I, I kind of agree with her a little bit, but I mean, I know why they why they did it because it, I mean, you you were kind of like, I want this to be you know like a a sports movie where it's like a tournament we're going through and we're getting down to the last hand with the the USA guy, the USA Russian or Ukrainian guy or whatever he was. You know, you mm -hmm. wanted that matchup, you know, <laughs> right? Exactly. But uh, these characters were so broken that uh, we were never going to get that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, he had that relationship with the kid, you know, and that was strange enough as it was, you know, and then the unrequited love with his manager, who uh, Tiffany Hadish, right? Was that the actress's name? Yes, that's her. Very yes. beautiful. Oh, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I know Zach, I, I did not think Defoe was Miss Castro. He was like fucking perfect, dude. I thought he was great. I thought uh, if anything, it was underwritten. I would like to have seen yeah. him a little bit more. Yeah. And, uh, I want to also speculate with you about what happened off scene in the final scene, off camera. I mean, what happened mm -hmm. off camera? I just heard a lot of grunting and, you know, <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> Not exactly. And then, you know, he comes back with, you know, whatever wound, you know, wounds he got from that encounter, the, the mm -hmm. final encounter. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's so much in there. What It was a, a bit of an homage to Taxi Driver, you know, with uh, the Travis Bickle character was a mm -hmm. lot like the William Tell character. Yeah, they're, they're, Schrader's movies always have that theme of the outsider, yep. you know, God's don't fit lonely in. man. You know, he wrote that line, I'm God's lonely man. The narration yep. in Taxi Driver is, I've always been lonely. I'm bars and cars and trains. I'm God's lonely man. And and that, that line is a theme in so many of his movies. It's uh, something that I think his... I think he comes from a Calvinist uh, religion uh, background and had a lot of trouble with his dad, his strict dad and so forth, and felt ostracized by the family because he was thinking about sex and who knows what. And uh, and so th th that kind of feeling permeates throughout his uh, films. But I, I agree sure. with Stephen. I mean, Stephen is a huge fan of Heart 8. That's one of my favorite yeah. uh, films, too. Uh, PT I need to rewatch that. Yeah, I, th that is... I remember when I first bought the DVD, I think within a year span, I, I saw it a half dozen times. I think it's a fabulous film. Uh, the DVD um, specials uh, gave some insight into the director, P.T. Anderson, and he does the, 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 the track, you know, where you follow along the director comments as the movies, movie's going on. Heart Eight is an excellent, excellent movie, and P.T. Anderson is one of my favorite filmmakers. Do you like P.T. Anderson movies like Boogie Nights and oh, yeah. uh, Magnolia? Magnolia is a great film, man. Yep. I I'm trying to it. think of what his late last movie was. I just don't, don't yeah, know. Yeah. He, uh, he just did something that Dan saw and was recommending. It's uh, sort of like a 1960s um, 
uh, homage film. Let me see, uh, Paul. Speaking of 67, did you see Cop Shop yet? Or Oh, you know what? As I was, uh, uh, I, <laughs> just, I was just curious. I was, <laughs> I was, I, I was deciding between Cop Shop and, and, and Card Counter. Cop Shop, yeah. Card Counter. So I will definitely see uh, Cop Shop. Right. Well, I mean, I Card Counter is a lot deeper, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, and I was in the mood for something like that. So, right. uh, yeah, the last movie uh, P.T. Anderson did was Licorice Pizza, which okay, uh, right, got right. a lot of accolades. I haven't seen it yet, though, but. Uh... I know we when I when we still when I was still doing Entertainment Weekly we had a feature on Licorice Pizza but I have not seen it. Yeah, I have not seen it too. The previews look good. I was trying to talk my wife into seeing it. Uh, she decided, eh, let's, you know, uh, I don't know when you're with your wife and you're trying to decide what to see. Does it take you forty five minutes to look through the Netflix and Hulu menus and all that? Absolutely. Stuff? Yep, oh it's a bane God. of my existence. Same here, man. <laughs> my wife, my wife wants to hit me over the head. For that. <laughs> I'm just like, honey, I don't know. But recently, recently, I actually did kind of find something by accident. Quite, it's a movie called Faults. It's with uh, uh, this guy. It takes place kind of like I don't know when. It's like either seven, late seventies, early eighties. It's some kind of weird time uh, period. But uh, the actor's name is uh, um, Leland Orser. Hmm. Uh, he's kind of a B movie actor. Yeah, he's excellent in this. And then uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the uh, character he plays opposite. He plays this uh, guy who's really down on his luck. He's a former or down on his luck cult deprogrammer. Mm. You know, he, he gets people and he deep who've been, who've been uh, uh, brought into a cult and their, you know, their families can't get them out of this cult, whether it's mm -hmm. like a religious cult or sex cult or whatever. And he's, uh, he's really down on his luck at the start of the movie. He's a very odd character. Um, he has zero money uh he's giving uh uh lectures you know uh on cult deprogramming in in you know two-star hotels and stuff and and uh, uh an older couple comes to one of his shows and ironically he gets beat up by a, a person in the audience at the show that they were at and they want to hire him for uh you know, uh, deprogram their daughters, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. It's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of dialogue and it's really weird. And it's, uh, got some kind of supernatural element to it. That, uh, myst mysterious supernatural element that reveals itself. Uh, but I don't want to give away anymore. It's called faults. Uh, yeah, I just, and, uh, I just found the, the trailer. Um, and, uh, just listening <laughs> to the opening sounds of the trailer. Yeah, that sounds spooky. <laughs> yeah, it's a great performance by him, and it's very strange. It's kind of I'm sorry, who is that? That guy's name is Leland Orser. Okay, uh, he was an alien, uh, one of the alien movies. Oh, I, I, he's familiar looking. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him in a lot of movies. They've made him look 70s in this kind of. He's a little, that's him getting beat up at the, at the show. <laughs> I love it. I love it already. <laughs> it's it's great. It's a, it's it's funny, but it's uh, got a little seriousness uh, to it. This. This movie had escaped me. I'd never heard of it before, but my wife and I enjoyed it watching it. Uh, the ending is it has a twist that you probably might not see coming. So, oh well, I will definitely look for that one. And Cop Shop uh, is also on right. the list. You uh, haven't you... seen Coda yet, right? Coda, I have not seen. Oh my and gosh, that's you and your wife, wife needs to see. So, it is uh... so good. Although you, I, mean, I cried because I mean, it's it's one of those life affirming, uh, family friend, you know, family centric, you mm -hmm. know, this off odd. Uh, offbeat family they're so un non-traditional family of you know three deaf p 
people and one who can hear. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're fit. They're Gloucester fishermen. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's excellent, man. It'll make you cry. It'll make you laugh. Brother. Yeah, won the Academy Award as best mm-hmm. picture. Yeah, so, yeah, so, uh, definitely. Uh, uh, definitely, we'll see that. I might see that on San Diego. You know, uh, I'll, I'll purchase it and watch it on the it's, plane or something the, like that. The guy who plays the dad is fucking hilarious, man. <laughs> he is an excellent. I know he was nominated too. I don't know his name, but uh, he was excellent. It's like he was so funny. He was like when he was talking, he would you know, he was you know he would talk about you know, sex or whatever. And you know, give these, like you watch the hand signals for his talking about sex and they were hilarious <laughs> hand signs or sign language for the sexual activity and stuff, you know. So he was nominated for supporting actor? I think he was nominated for best supporting actor for it. It's Troy, Troy something is his name. I don't know. It's, yeah, uh, I'm pulling up the list right Troy now. Troy Better. Yeah, Troy Katsur. Troy Katsur, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love... Really uh, good. I, I love movies like that. Stephen Mee is saying, I guarantee you'll love The Way Back 2022. Check out the trailer. All right, let's call I, it the trailer. I haven't heard of this movie, but or I've heard of it, but I don't, I don't remember what it. That's, you know, we is it are. Like Ben Affleck is a coach. Is that. Oh, I don't know. Is he a basketball coach? I think. I, is uh... it Ben Affleck? Well, yeah, I love... it is Ben Affleck. You're right. Here, uh, without sound, uh, we'll see some of the imagery from the way back with Ben Affleck. Uh, yeah, I've heard some good things about this movie. I'm a I'm a Ben Affleck fan. I think you know. Oh, absolutely. Yep. He, he's gotten a bad rap for some bad, poor movie choices at a certain point in his career, <laughs> and from being in the in the gossip column uh, so much. But uh, sure, you know, you look at his his overall work. This guy yeah. is a super talented filmmaker. Very solid. The town he directed yeah. and starred in. Um, he did the one movie about the escape from the hostages uh, in Iran. Uh, I forgot what the title of that film was, but uh, excellent uh, directed uh, film, and uh, and he's had he's made love with some of the most beautiful women in Hollywood. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being Stephen. I excuse me, Ben Affleck for a couple of days. Yeah, <laughs> uh, this looks good. I will definitely check this out. Steve. I love sports movies, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah. We need more good sports movies. Uh, yeah. Steve says this is the best sports flick he's seen in a while. Uh, Gone Girl, uh, Gone Girl, and Argo. Yeah, another two more. Uh, yeah, Argo uh, was the one. Argo uh, was the, the one the, the hostages. Yes. The uh, yeah, Israel Olympics, right? Uh, I think. Uh, no, it was uh, the the uh, 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 uh the the right. Shah. What, what, uh, were the Olympics in Israel though that year? Or? No, no, no. You're no? Thinking, you're conflating that or. or, or Argo is the story of in the, when Jimmy Carter was president. Uh, the the uh, not the Shah, the Ayatollah Khomeini took right. American yeah. hostages, okay. and uh, a, a number of them were a number of Americans were were held in the Canadian embassy, and okay. uh, they helped these uh, uh, these people escape. Is, I'm telling the story terribly because I'm tired right now, but it's definitely a right. good movie if you have not seen it, Argo. I know some of my political friends hate it because it, it politically mm. wasn't always correct, but it's a movie. Come on. <laughs> Just have some fun yeah. with it. It doesn't so have to be political. Winning time was great, and it wasn't correct. Yeah, you know, historically exactly. correct. It was exactly. still awesome. Exactly. I know Dan, Dan didn't uh, feel exactly that way, but mm-hmm. 
You know, I want it before. Uh, Girl, have you seen Gone Girl, Tooch? Yeah, the Gone Girl is excellent. That's excellent. Yep. It's really, really good. Great oh, acting. Yeah. Before yeah. Uh, before we go, you had something more to add? Yeah, I wanted to mention the passing of John Moon Mullen and uh, uh, how I thought he was one of the best beer, Bears uh, beat writers, you know, really solid. Uh, I read him for years, you know, growing up and stuff. I mean, he'd been around a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, Mumo just just always seemed like a great guy. You know, very calm when he delivered uh, uh, his uh, his you know reports on the score. You know, and never never seemed to get rattled. Asked good questions in press conferences and wrote good articles on uh, on the newspaper in the newspaper. Yeah, I'm glad so, yeah. you uh, brought him up because uh, John Moon Mullen was one of those real sports journalists. Absolutely, he, and old he, school. Yeah, old school. And he worked the beat. He established friendships with second and third string players. Uh, and that's where he would get some of his information for his stories. And then some some of those second and third string players ended up uh, playing starter roles. And so he had buddies now that were starters. And he was just a good old-fashioned uh, reporter. I met him once at Bourbonnet. He was up there sitting with us fans uh, at the top of the stands, and I think Tucci, you were out there that day when when he was sitting next to us, and uh, and I just saw him talking with fans. He wasn't yep. over there with the other reporters; he was talking to fans, but always had his eyes on the field. And uh, he was he's just one of those great multitaskers. Uh, some people have written some nice columns uh, about him. Melissa Isaacson wrote a really good one at the Daily Herald. They used to get together for breakfast often, and. Uh, and she just talked about her love uh, for her good friend, Moon Mullen. So uh, he will be missed in the Chicago sports world. We've lost some really good people yep. the last few years. Definitely a loss to the Bears uh, reporting scene. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I wanted to make sure I mentioned him before we got off the Thank air. God. Thank you. Just, uh, you know, uh, that kind of, I didn't want that to go, you know, slip through the news because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was important, to, at least to me and to you. I know that uh, uh, you and I are fond of the old school reporters mm -hmm. and stuff you know we, we like to make fun of the of the uh the new school guys like oh especially dan dan weederer and uh you know some of the newer guys and stuff yeah. rich. what's the other guy's name rich uh uh rich 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 you're are you talking about rich morrissey no you can't no no dan weeder and what's the other guy's name the kind of the younger guy uh, there's uh, adam johns and uh, uh Adam Johns, I I, I kind of like. He's pretty good. Yeah, I'm not uh, a big fan of Adam. No, because he keeps burning us. He says, "Yeah, I'll be on your okay. show." And he, oh, then, <laughs> he never then fuck, up. fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't remember what is. Uh, God damn, it's like there's Dan Weeder and there's another guy that's kind of around the same age as Dan Weeder that kind of does the same yeah. shtick. They're kind of like uh, uh, negative Nancys a little bit, you know. Yeah, I With don't the fans. Have I don't have that big of a problem with that. And it's weird because I was actually going to talk about this. Maybe we'll talk about it next week when Dan's here because Dan hates Dan Weederer. Our Dan Aguirre hates Dan Weederer. I don't yeah. have that same feeling for Weederer. I think Weederer is just playing the journalist role. He's skeptical. It's his job to be skeptical. I keep seeing on social media fans, Bears fans, uh, uh, taking shots at the media because – they're not fans because they're not, you know, uh, saying, yeah, we're going to go 17 and all. That's not their job. They're, they're not employed by the Chicago Bears. They're employed as sports journalists for the newspaper or whatever organization they're there. And so it's their job to ask questions and, and take an adversarial role um, and 
I don't know. It's it, now a blogger is different. Like uh, Vinny uh, Parisi, he blogs about the White Sox, and so he's always cheering on social media. That's that's his job. He he, he takes that point of view. I'm a White Sox fan. I'm going to write about them, and that's totally cool. But Dan Weeder, he's not paid to be a, a cheerleader for the Chicago Bears. He's paid to take a deep, hard look at what's going on with the organization. Sure, and he's just being honest sometimes when he says. I'm not too confident that this team can can play well. Right so. now, the guy uh, it, it was, I did a Step Brothers graphic for I think Barroom, mm-hmm. and it was Dan Weeder and another guy. I think the other guy might have moved on. I can't even remember his name, but there were two Bears beat reporters. Uh, were you thinking of uh, Jordan listed a, b- a bunch of names? Were you thinking about? I, I don't think it Finley? was. I would. Th- I. Th- I mean, I. I could say maybe Finley, but I think it was another guy. I want to say his first name was Rich, but I don't mm-hmm. remember. <laughs> you know. Because uh, Draft Doctor Phil had me do a Step Brothers graphic for one of your Hundred Proof shows, you know, or something. <laughs> Might have been Draft Day or something that one week. I can't remember. Yeah, but that's funny. Anyway, I put uh, their heads on Step Brothers, you know, the uh, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, the guys that you uh, you and Dan McGuire don't really like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's make sure we talk about that. Uh, hopefully I can make it for next week's show. The reason I'm a little skeptical is I've got a 7 a.m. flight the next morning on, on Wednesday our, when, when our vacation starts. And so that means having to wake up at about 4 a.m., 5 a.m. and mm. blah, blah, blah. But we'll, yeah. we'll see if I, uh, if I can make it. Uh, but definitely we will have shows while I am away. The Tooch and Dan are uh, going to be here for your entertainment and information. So uh, I'm really indebted to uh, Tooch for uh, taking over the seat for the next two or three weeks or so. And um, anything you want to plug before we get out of here, amigo? You know, I'm still take kind of taking a break from sports wagering because baseball is uh, it's just too hard. Fuck baseball. Yeah, it's too hard. I mean, you could cap a game and you know, and the team will give it up in the ninth inning. You know, on some you know blown call or just you know wild pitch. It's just it's just mm-hmm. too much. I can't wait for football and, and college basketball. You know, when I can get back into the thick of it, where lo- those games are a lot easier for me to handicap. Um, exactly. I've just college been football, hit, college, college basketball, football, college basketball, yep. and NFL. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I mean, recently I've been playing. I, I'll, I'll just do like one play a day if I'm going to, or if I'm going to play at all, just one play. Like tonight, I played uh, the Cubs pitcher to go over four and a half strikeouts. That was easy mm-hmm. money. You know, it was either three and a half or four and a half strikeouts. I played the same thing last night where I did uh, uh, Lucas Giolito to give up over five and a half hits. You know, that cashed in like the third you inning. Want, yeah, I was going to say. Inning. You know, <laughs> you I, know, I know Lucas has been struggling, you know. So I mean, that was Good easy call. money too. That was two nights in a row where I, you know, easy money on the prop baseball props. I don't have to do much. Yeah. You know, I'll do like, a, you know, two guys to get a hit in a game in two different mm-hmm. games or one game or whatever. That seems to be the easier way to beat baseball for me. But mm-hmm. I'm still, I'm not. I'm not playing a lot uh, right now because I'm getting ready for football, NFL. And when I get that, uh, Anthony and I call it a free square, you know, free mm-hmm. square. When you get a bet like that, mm-hmm. it's like, I love it. like uh, we call it a free square. we got a free square tonight. You know, what's the free square? You, you can put down and feel pretty confident. About go to bed, wake up and your bet cashed, you know, like, like tonight, yeah. the Ke- Keegan Thompson bet cashed, I think in the fifth inning, I think he had five strikeouts at that point. And, I love uh, it. I love uh, it. And that Lucas so Giolito money was easy. 
Yeah, follow John Santucci at John Santucci VIP. I'm going to spell that out for our pod, audio podcasters. Uh, John, that's easy. S-A-N-T-U-C-C-I and then V-I-P. That's all one long word, and that will get you to his Twitter account. He is a definite follow. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Follow us at Barroom Network and follow Jordan T. Silvera. Uh, Jordan is at Jordan T, and then I'll spell his last name, S-I-L-V-E-I-R-A. Make sure you follow him and uh, join us on Thursday night for the debut of his show. we got a full slate of shows tomorrow, uh, Bar Down Hockey Talk. We're going to talk about the Stanley Cup Finals. Did you win any money on the Stanley Cup Finals with the Colorado Avalanche? I didn't play the side or totals. I Again, I was just playing like shots on goal. Mm-hmm. That was how that's how I'm getting through those games at Cal McCarr shots on goal or Landis Kog or mm-hmm. any of their Nathan cool. McKinnon, any of those stars just to get over two and a half or three and a half shots on goal. And those were pretty easy or, or goalie saves, you know, mm-hmm. over and under those were, I made a cup money on the, on the avalanche goalie saves just because the avalanche defense was keeping the lightning from, uh, from even getting a lot of shots. You know, I think through a couple of games, he'd only, he was averaging the 16 shots, a game, a, a game, you know, Scully wow. saves 16 saves. So they weren't shooting a lot on goal the first few uh, games of the series. So uh, making money just on prop bets and just on just one, you know, because uh, Anthony, I would say the fastest way, the best way is to just straight wager. You know, if you pick one game, put about 10, 20, 50 bucks on it and one bet, you know, that's it. You know, it's, it's that's hard. It. A lot of people, you know, it's hard for them. You see a great bet. You're like, I got to play this one. You know, you don't have to because there's always tomorrow. Yeah, that's uh, words that Mike North uses a lot. You know, don't yep. over bet. You know, take it yep. easy. Work your way into it. Um, so tomorrow is Bar Down Hockey. The guys will look back at the Stanley Cup playoffs and also talk about the new head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. So that starts live here at 2 p.m. You can always mm. find it on demand afterwards. And then nice. at 7 p.m. is the uh, Mac and Reed show. Two great uh, Chicago sports guys, and they love to talk about hip-hop music and other cultural things. So they'll talk about the sports. I'm sure they're going to go over the NBA Finals. And uh, uh, actually, the NBA Finals was two weeks ago. So I'm not sure what they're going to talk about. But whatever it is, it's going to be very entertaining. And then to uh, close our day off tomorrow, Science Fiction, the guys will be talking, I'm sure, Marvel movies because they love their Marvel movies. Yeah. And uh, and Cliff and I have been trying to get them to watch uh, – the man who fell to earth. So maybe they've mm. seen those episodes and they can talk about it. Cause did they talk uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi? Uh, they did not. You know what? They're okay. not. Uh, I, I think uh, Salim is a, is a big star Wars fan, but I don't think Carl is. So, uh, but yeah, yeah they, someone in the chat room had mentioned how mediocre it was. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of like, you know what? It didn't live up to the expectations, but I still yeah. enjoyed it. But I mean, could it have been a lot better? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, Ian McClure, Ian, you and McGregor, McGregor, he's yep. still playing Obi Wan, right? Yep. And they brought back uh, Hayden Christensen to play uh, Darth oh, Vader. Nice. So they did have the cast. They had uh, uh, Kumail Nanjani, the com- uh, Pakistani or Indian comedian. He provided mm-hmm. some comic relief. And they had two kids that kind of resembled, you know, uh, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill. Oh, as, cool. You know, as kids, and mm-hmm. uh, they brought back Jimmy Smith, so they digitally altered him to be younger uh, to play uh, Leia's adopted father. But 
like uh yeah last episode was good of kenobi sure i mean it was but i mean man i was so hyped for this but it it was it was good but i mean man if it, maybe we're just comparing it to boba fett and the mandalorian because those are really good series mm-hmm. but uh i i can uh i can understand why they would say hey, it was mediocre you know? Yeah. Well, I know the guys do want to talk about the Star Wars uh, uh, series and movies and stuff. They, they, they've got like a, an episode planned for that. Uh, and they've been talking about finding a guest that can talk. So I'm going to recommend you since you've been, you're up to the speed on them. Uh, be great if uh, you came in and, and, and gave them some uh, pointers as to what to watch, what to stay away from and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our our slate for tomorrow. And again, you can find all these shows on demand here on our YouTube channel or on audio podcasts. You can find us everywhere, iTunes, you name it. Just search for Barroom Network. For John Santucci, Dan Aguirre, I'm Aldo Gandia. And for Jordan Silvera, make sure you check out his show Thursday night at 10 p.m. Central, uh, the brand new Bear Necessities. It's going to be out. It's going to be good. Yeah. man. Um, and so that's uh, what we got going. We got a lot of other stuff going too, but I, I, I spend another half hour telling you what we're doing. Right. <laughs> um, so uh, take care, man. Later. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in live. Uh, goodbye. Everybody. Later, Barflies. Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomfe. Bear down.